Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Krista and Linz. Welcome to the show. We're on the road, baby. We're on the road in Austin. I'm feeling very supported and professional here in Karina Dawn's studio. And her doll of a husband, Bobby Gold, just set us up. Heart of gold. Heart of gold. So much time and attention. I love it. It's for me to receive. I'm like, are you okay? Do you, do you know oh, I felt like I was like doing nothing. I know. I was, I was chilling. I'm like, wow. When you're really taken so... care of in that way, I'm just like, yep, this is amazing. This is amazing. So nice. So we are dear friends with Karina Dawn of Tone It Up and The Big Silence. Karina's been on the pod and her and Katrina, her co-founder of Tone It Up, were on the podcast years ago. We've been on um, Katrina's podcast. We are on Karina's podcast. And yeah, just dear friends, it's really beautiful to be in Austin again. I am in love with She's Austin. in love again. I'm in love again. Guys, if you're with me, you got to ride the waves. You got to ride my waves. Sometimes I'm in it. Sometimes I'm not. Okay. So that's one thing you'll know about me. She's She talks to me. She's like, I love Austin again. I'm I like, do. I'm on this oh, boat. I was, at, we were, I was waiting for Lindsay at Soho, and I was like, I'm in the pool with a margarita. <laughs> and what would you say? I was like, I'm going to wait to see if this is true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're like, I'm going to wait to see if this is true. Because obviously I have not. a fantasy of seeing Krista in a pool with a margarita. <laughs> 100%. Just like in a ruffle bikini. With like, I'm like, you're relaxing? Strangers. 100%. You're not doing work at Soho House? 100%. I was fully doing work. But it was beautiful, so... I landed in, in um, Austin and got to go to Soho House for a little bit just to wait for Lindsay. And they had Sunday service mm-hmm. singing. So in Austin at Soho, they have a choir that comes and sings Sunday service songs. It was God just I mean, smiling at me. Truly. Being like, Austin does love you. Yeah, that's true. I was like, whoa, such this a sign. is such a sign. It was so beautiful and powerful and yeah, just to be in. I know every fucking word to every song. I'm like, I'm like really feeling it. No friends. No one knows me. I would have just been totally in the, vibe. in the corner. I, I just cry. almost cried. I almost cried talking about it and just yeah. thinking about it. Like, mm-hmm. and just it's really beautiful within gospel music how the energy changes in a room. Yes, like music changes any energetic field, but the way that gospel really can bring divine through is just yeah. There's the, nothing like it. Once you understand that music and this sounds like duh but really like understand that music is frequency and that it could be either be high or low yes you can't unknow that and you always will be able to know which one it is yeah i've (laughs) talked about that on my social media it's like one of the cryptic things i mentioned yeah i always just like drop something you're like 808s let's talk about it literally (laughs) and then i'll never explain it i'll just be like hey aliens actually colonized mars and they destroyed the planet between us, blah, blah, blah. and like I'll just say one sentence, and then people are like, "What are you talking?" About? And I just get tired, and I never want to explain it. Totally. So that was one thing with music. I've talked about it many times, like the frequency of music and how impactful it can be for hypnotizing people, for mm-hmm. getting us in a lower vibrational state. And then I never talk about it again. So I think I'm going to do a full podcast on. I just it's something that needs more research. Yeah, I can't just be like saying what I want to say and how I feel specifically without a little bit more research. Completely. Because if we're friends, we're hanging out, I can say whatever the fuck and just kind of rip. But if I'm kind of presenting this concept and idea, I want to have a little bit because more Because then people can take the research yeah. and then kind of do their own little field work in understanding yeah. it. So you're not just like sharing your opinion. It's we like should have Andrew fact. Huberman on confirming every conspiracy theory that I know. <laughs> Be like, I'll kind of like work True or false, tubes. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> Let's talk about music frequency and mind control. <laughs> True or false, tubes. <laughs> oh my God. Holy when Bobby left, moly. so Bobby was helping us set up and he gave us his phone to look at the video camera to see how the setup looked. 
And I always test everyone's Apple face ID. I always think that I'm going to get catch Apple. Oh, weird. Like you're shape-shifting to be Bobby? Yes. I sometimes am like, I'm waiting for it to be to let me in. Dang. It never has. It does freak me out. Because sometimes sometimes I'll, I'll hold up my phone for that, but I'm not even looking at it, and it catches it. I know. Do you know what I mean? It yes. like kind of catches like a side profile. I'm like, I didn't even give you my profile. You know. I know. Yeah, I don't even I don't even know. I feel like my phone's been listening to me more than ever. Yeah. But it's actually it's kind of nice and convenient. I'm like getting served like <laughs> wedding stuff. That's how they get you. Yes. And I'm like I love those shoes yes, actually. 100%. I was thinking about them in my dreams last night. You caught it. You're like, "Thank you so much." I know. It's very weird and yeah. convenient. I'm sure well this is the thing when your phone listens, it loves biggest it loves the biggest life moments. Think about a baby, a wedding, totally all that. It's like, I've got so much you can buy. I know. You just wait. I mean, I can imagine that brands pay a bajillion dollars to be like in that flow of when you are like searching for baby things and then they buy into being in that. Yes. It's when you're most vulnerable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How rude. I know. It's rude. You're the one that got clear. Sorry, but I will (laughs) say until the day I die, clear is the best hundred dollars I've ever spent. So with the TSA stuff, sorry, I have pre-check because they don't scan any part of my body. Clear scans your eyeball. Um, Not into it. But so does your phone. Your phone's basically your eye. Like it's your face. Mm-mm. It's, I don't do, I don't do face study. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> so at Amazon in LA, Justin comes home. He's like, you're never going to believe this. So I made them give me proof. And he puts a little piece of paper down on the table and it goes, at Amazon, we now accept your palm for payments. Oh, I know. Heck So at Amazon stores, they take your palm and they read your palm to pay. That is so wild. wild. Sometimes I'm like, I need to catch myself and be like, okay, what's your vibe with technology? What are you scared of? Like, what's going Mm -hmm. on? Because the future is here. The future is now. But I'm like, what? Yeah. And I, it's just such a balance because I don't want to be someone that's like everything new. I'm like, No. Totally. I, I kind of have to feel into it. I think for me, what justifies clear is I want to spend as little time at the airport as possible. Yeah. And so I can show up with very little time till my yeah. flight and know that I'm going to get through. Yeah. Because I don't like being in an airport. It, I it's, immediately feel ill. Yeah. LAX is a wild experience. Oh, yeah. It's I feel crazy. like I'm on in another planet when mm-hmm. I'm at the airport. I feel Completely. like I float. I'm like, no one. I'm very calm. Yeah, I just, I, I'm calm, but I like get a headache. I already am dehydrated. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like my body knows we're about to get on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and it starts to cramp up. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in Austin having a good time, 110 degrees. Yeah, sweating our ass off. Losing a pound every hour, but it's so beautiful. Great. I just love the green. I love the nature. Just really doing it right, you guys. I'm in love again. And I'm excited to share this interview. So this is myself with Peter Crone. We recorded this in Los Angeles, which was amazing. So our dear friends, Jenna Zoe and Jordan Younger know Peter, and they were able to connect us. And I've wanted to have him on for a long time. You know, he does work that is very much in our space of personal growth, self-development, like the mind, kind of how we create our own reality. He's called The Mind Architect. And so I think his work is incredibly powerful. And it was really fun to sit down with someone that's like such a smart person. Like yes. I can't think of a better word, but just a very intellectually stimulating mm-hmm. person. But I have to be really honest that I found myself 
almost trying so much to match him intellectually during the conversation that I was sort of, my ego told me this after myself and I was kind of reviewing and I'm like, ooh, you were trying harder to match his intellectual capacity mm-hmm. in the conversation rather than focus on the actual conversation. Mm-hmm. So I, I can get that. I understand yeah. that. So, you know, take it or leave it. You guys might notice that or not. But when I'm speaking with someone that's so smart, I love to kind of be in that Aquarian you know, mercurial vibe. So we kind of go all over the place. I wanted it to feel really different. If you know Peter and you know his work, you may have heard it on various other podcasts in different places. He's super powerful. You can find a lot of his work on his Instagram and on his website. And so I wanted it to feel very different. So we went a little all over the place. We talked a lot about the masculine and the feminine. We talked a lot about current times. We talked a lot about um, subconscious reprogramming and the brain and the stories we tell. So I think all of these topics you really love and I really love to dig into. So you're going to find yourself just really enjoying this one. And I can imagine just what I know of his work and his clientele. I can imagine that what, when people work with Peter one-on-one, whether it's athletes or you know CEOs, it's like you find this this missing link, but also like this secret sauce, mm-hmm. you know? Like I, I have a feeling when you are a top performer and you find someone who's able to support the growth and mm, just supporting your mind in that way, because I can imagine there's so much coming in and out for certain people that I don't know if I would ever not Mm-hmm. want to like work with someone like Peter. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can like go head to head with some of the yes. biggest. He works with tons of athletes and really incredible people. And his work really is helping us realize and revealing limiting beliefs that we have to recognizing our greatest potential. And a lot of these limiting beliefs and these stories that we tell ourselves dictate a lot of the outcomes in our life, mm-hmm. whether it's in relationships, with our health, in our performance, and our career. So how can we figure out what those are, and then really, really rework and expand upon them to rewrite those stories. And I think in our space, you know, if you're a fan of Almost 30, we've talked about this a few other times on the show, but it never isn't relevant Mm -hmm. and it never isn't interesting because once you figure out one thing, you get shown another story. There's the next Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Did he, did you have a moment with him where you kind of like... Got coached? Yeah. Nope. Okay. She's like, I'm not going there. Nope. Airtight. Airtight, baby. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I actually recognize that he's done that with a lot of people he's interviewed. Mm, totally. Okay. There was like one really good one with Paris Hilton and Danica mm. Patrick and all that. I just, I just, I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to go there. Totally. I'm just it's like. kind of a vulnerable thing. A hundred percent. And I just, I'm like, I'm not. I'm in my this process. This is about you, Pete. Yeah. And I was like, so, but, so what you're actually picking up is your story. <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't think that, I didn't see, I because I've seen that happen in a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I wanted to be in that yeah, energy because it felt a little self-serving mm, that makes sense. to be in that, having him coach me, mm-hmm. totally. you know, so you guys aren't going to hear me get coached. All good. It's all good. All good, baby. I don't need any coaching. Just kidding. <laughs> we have a we too have deep. Too many coaches. I would honestly be like, and plus my shit right now is just too real. It would be like, it would be way too. It's, it's not like hours. light. Yeah, totally. it's not like my my mom never picked me up. I mean, that's true, but it's never. It's not that right now. It's like mm-hmm. too real. That's my life. You can. Learn more about Peter and his work at petercrone.com. He's Peter Crone on Instagram. And I'm excited to listen to this one. 
Yeah, really, really excited. And just shout out to our new members in the mm-hmm. Almost 30 membership. We're so excited you have joined us in the membership and for OG members. It's just been such a pleasure and honor to have you a part of the community in this way, in this really intimate, committed way. And if you're curious about the membership, uh, you can join the wait list. And yeah, it's one of our favorite things that we do. Yeah, I'm excited. We're doing in-person events for our members only, which is going to be really beautiful. We are like an events-led company before 2020. We did tour and retreats and all of that. So it'll be amazing to sort of kind of flex those muscles again and be with you in person and bring some of the people that we love and you know have transformed our lives for our members. And I'm excited about our healing sessions monthly. I'm excited about some of the new additions we have. So welcome members. We love you so much. So much. And thanks for listening to the show. It means a lot. We're also on YouTube. You can watch us on video. Hey. Hey. And make sure you sit subscribe everywhere that you listen to podcasts and we're on tiktok we're on tiktok we're on tiktok we're tiktoking we're killing it we're killing it (laughs) literally (laughs) no we have an incredible team we make clips from the show Mm -hmm. so you get like those nuggets yes you know that really serve as fun inspo will make you laugh all the things no trends just like truth oh no trends just truth that's our new bio new fucking merch (laughs) No trends, just truth. Okay, guys. <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> Can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for being a part of our community and our lives. We love you so much. Almost 30 is what it is because of you. I suggest sending this one to a friend if you want to have a conversation about mm. the mind, about the stories you tell yourself, about subconscious work and reprogramming and mental health. This one is so powerful. And that is it for us. That's it, baby. See you on the other side. Enjoy this one. See you soon. <laughs> I am juggling quite a bit lately. I have a new baby, um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health routine is on point, then everything runs smoothly. And one huge piece of that routine is my supplementation. And Symbiotica has just always been a constant in my routine. Uh, If you haven't heard of Symbiotica, they're a health and wellness company that does everything with intention. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like I know them. (laughs) Shervin has been on the podcast many times. I just have seen how passionate, how incredibly intelligent, how dedicated he is to creating products um, that are clean, plant-based, without toxic or harmful chemicals, which we need more of that in the world. Um, So let me just run you through what I'm taking. Um, I take the vitamin D3 K2. It's the liposomal form. I just squirt 12 little pumps in my mouth every single morning. I also take their B12. Um, I'm also obsessed with the liposomal vitamin C. I have these little packets whether it's winter or whatever season, it's obviously great for immunity, but it also um, is amazing because it has biotin, one of nature's most beautifying ingredients. Uh, So I've seen an improvement in my skin, hair, and nail growth as well. 
I do have mom brain, um, but I'm doing my best to just support my brain health in any way. So for brain health, focus and memory, I really love taking their liposomal magnesium L-threonate. Um, it's an innovative form of magnesium that is able to cross the blood brain barrier. It supports brain health, mood, immune system function, and overall well-being. It's incredible and tastes amazing. It's like this yummy vanilla cream flavor. That's the thing with uh, Symbiotica products. They taste unbelievable. So it really makes taking all of these supplements so easy, so yummy. And I actually look forward to it. So if you want to give Symbiotica a try, there is no better time right now is the time. Symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A. Use our code almost 30, 20% off site-wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're going to get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost 30 for 20% off site-wide. Okay. I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app. Um, Superhuman. I have been doing these superhuman activations every single morning for the last three weeks. Let me just tell you, I kind of fell off of my game after I had the baby. Most of my time and energy was going to him still is, but I have been able to carve out time in the morning before I get into the swing with him. And I've been doing these activations. I do a lot of the shorter ones because I don't have a ton of time, but let me just say, this is new. Like this is a new type of audio that, um, are super energizing and really specifically designed to transform you into your future self. So I know a lot of us want to manifest things. I know a lot of us are thinking about planning for the future. Um, but a lot of us feel stuck. And so I've just felt like this has unstuck me in just the most beautiful way. So I've been doing a lot of their pep talks. I've been doing some of their writing activations. Uh, this morning I did the three morning questions. It was a seven minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk, uh, about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just, I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So we actually interviewed Mimi Bouchard, the founder, not too long ago. Check out that interview. Uh, and we have a sample of one of the activations on our feed. So you can check that out as well. It's way easier to implement into your routine and far more effective than any other audio app out there. I've just noticed that I'm doing it much more consistently. So please don't miss out on this crazy deal. They rarely do discounts. On top of the 14-day free trial, get over 60% off your subscription for a limited time only at activation.com slash almost 30. Literally, there is no risk. If you change your mind and forget to cancel after the trial, you're covered by their money back guarantee. The offer is only available through their website, not on the app store. So that's activations.com slash almost 30 for 60% off. It expires soon. One of my favorite compliments, just by virtue of where I was at the time in my life, and I was a little bit more of a young buck, was, I'm name dropping here, but it's a fun story. So I was, uh, at the time, I was still in my previous career as a trainer. Mm -hmm. And I had, I'd started to actually venture into doing some of the mind stuff and helping people get out of their own way. And anyway, I, I, I'd done some work with this beautiful 
golf club and spa in, in London. And they had introduced me to this PR firm and they represented other resorts and one was in Thailand. And so they set up this whole month for me to be there and work with people who traveled from predominantly Australasia and Europe to come, come and work with me and get massages and the whole thing. So second or third day, I haven't told this story for a long time, so it's kind of fun to revisit. The general manager of the resort came out to me and said, we have a, we have a VIP guest on, on site. I guess that's the correct term. And I said, okay, cool. And then we told them that you're here and, and they're fascinated by your work and they'd love to meet. And I was like, okay, cool. And your so, work as a trainer, though. Well, there was a little bit of a transition, I guess, I was sort of uh, between seasons, should I say. So I was still doing a little bit of the training, but I actually was doing more of the mind stuff with the people that were on, on retreat with me. But this particular woman is, is Elizabeth Hurley. And, you know, so back in the day... Like, but I mean, come on. What do you mean? You're like, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I don't know then. I was like a young to mid 30 year old. And um, so I, you know, Elizabeth Hurley strolls in. She's like, ah, you know, in a finest posh English, like, Peter, so lovely to to meet you. I've heard wonderful things. And she wanted to do some of this more workout stuff and Pilates. But anyway, to get back to the question, what's one of the nicest compliments? It really hit me because... We would, we'd, we'd had a few sessions. She'd come to see me every day. And this was probably about day five. And um, I was just talking about something to do with diet lifestyle. And, it's, you know, like any human being, she was struggling with something to do with her gut. And she wanted to be healthier and skin and hair and all the things that ladies, you know, have to mm-hmm. preoccupy themselves with. It's always, and, um, it's always the gut. They're like <laughs> my digestion. Yeah. And that, that is the sort of the, the access point to vitality. But, well, the mind is really, mm-hmm. but physiologically. So anyway, I, I was just talking away as I do. And she just kind of like, in the most beautiful way, no one's ever done this, like totally interrupted me and said, gosh, you're so beautiful. <laughs> I was like, what? I was just talking about like yeah, something like, to do with Ayurveda. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, like it was, it really, it was really touching, you know, because like whatever it was, I don't know if the lighting was particularly good in, yes. that, in that room or, you know, the, but it was, but I could feel it in the way it wasn't just like, it was not. A, yeah physical attribute i mean there may be a component i, I, I wasn't too you'll shabby. take either i'll take either <laughs> but there, but it was really heartfelt you know and it really sort of i think it it spoke to the fact that what she saw was just like how much i was like caring mm-hmm. you know like and there was just a genuine an authenticity to what i was trying like to do to truth. help her yeah mm-hmm. yeah i guess then in that the compliments do you think you were you believed it so you were able to receive it like is that something wherein you said, you know, she said I was beautiful and you took it as, I'm assuming she's talking about how present I was with her or this, but mm-hmm. someone else could take it totally differently. So do you think that mm-hmm. from the mental perspective, you have to believe the compliment to receive it in the way that feels good? I think to the degree that it was shared, and I would assert that somebody, when you say someone could take it differently, I'd say based on their energetic signature, they may not even attract that statement, mm-hmm. right? So if we were to go really down the rabbit hole somebody else who might be more self-conscious or is more focused on their physicality or their looks may not garner that kind of reaction. So there was multitude of layers in the way that I was interpreting it and why it actually even occurred mm-hmm. in the first place. Right. So, but yeah, I haven't told that story for, for well over a decade, but it was, uh, it was very touching. So I'm sure she follows you. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. Th- thanks, Liz. Liz, love you. <laughs> also, Liz, thanks, babe. Also, it's like there's something about kind of stopping your the track of your conversation and sort of you being, it's not like you weren't being present, but Mm -hmm. sometimes when we're in work, there's an autopilot nature to what we do and how we sort of do it. Mm -hmm. And for someone to sort of like bring 
that energy of presence back to this conversation where you're like, whoa. Right. You know, there's something else here that she's seeing that's beautiful rather than what I'm saying or what I'm doing. Yeah. And and I think presence is like one of my superpowers, you know. So it was for sure that I was with her, but it's sort of one of those out of left field comments, which which does strike at a different level, right? So, And it was just because of the context of who she was. And again, I don't put anyone on a pedestal, but at the time I was you know, enamored with just her beauty, like not just physical too. She was just a sweetheart. So I think, you know, the the, the, the juxtaposition of me just talking about health and wellness and stuff to do with her, mm-hmm. whatever was going on in balance to then suddenly be caught somewhat off guard, but it also was appropriate, like, because mm-hmm. there was a moment, you know, mm-hmm. like, and it, it wasn't like in any way, like, there was no intimacy or like mm-hmm. there was no nothing no, like, no, no, no innuendo yeah I'm like then we started making out yeah. you're like <laughs> yeah. and that's my wife <laughs> exactly and that's how I now have a child yes. um by the way no one knows about uh, so it was it was just it was just a it was one of those nice moments but like I, I do feel very blessed and especially over the last two years as I seem to have sort of gotten this podcast tour that I'm on yes. with different shows courtesy of people like you who want to host and ask questions. Like my star seems to have risen in a way that is by no means out there as big, but it's it's very, it's humbling mm-hmm. because, you know, the the stories I hear, like I was just at Era One and somebody stops me, you know, and I, I don't know who this guy is. And then yesterday someone else, you know, didn't come right up to me, but they like, like this and you know showed their phone like 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 you know because they're across like yes it's just it's really it's gratifying to Mm -hmm. know that i'm just basically saying something i'm using words and um it's it's impacting people's lives in a really beneficial way as far as your journey you know if we think about that and i know it kind of started with the breakup Mm -hmm. you know that you went through that was really heartbreaking and then you were a trainer and sort of worked in the subconscious work do you feel like you were always grateful or always had gratitude or do you find that to be something that has come in and out of your journey i think i've always been grateful it's a scale of gratitude mm-hmm. you know i think you could say like you referenced the the relationship which was very like catalytic for me in terms of my own awakening i could say that i was in love but it was on a gradient of love mm-hmm. right like there's a hierarchy of understanding the depth of love and what i knew then as a 35 36 year old was you know relatively benign in terms of its depth and authenticity to what I now understand as love. Mm -hmm. So I'd say the same with gratitude that, you know, I had very loving parents, albeit they passed. So there's a degree of gratitude. I mean, as a kid, you don't know anything different, right? Mm -hmm. Like you see your friends and they have brothers or sisters or different parents who have different idiosyncrasies. But I definitely had a gratitude that grew up in a nice village, but I didn't know what it was growing up in, like in in a city, you know, so there's no comparison as a kid, but there was an inherent feeling of, you know, that we're not millionaires, but we're okay. Like, mm-hmm. and I play soccer with my friends in my garden and it's it's fun. But I think the depth of gratitude that I now understand, just for, without sounding too esoteric out of the gate, but it's occupational hazard when you talk to Peter Crone, is, you know, the humility of what it means to be human mm-hmm. and the opportunity that it is to recognize our true nature by virtue of this equipment. So mm-hmm. that's a whole level of gratitude way beyond I ever even knew was possible. When you say that, when we even can go esoteric, then I guess, are you coming at that from the spirit? Like, are you coming at that from the spiritual perspective where you're like, I understand that I have mm-hmm. so much gratitude for this human experience because I'm comparing it to the experience of my soul or the experience of something that's bigger than this human experience that I'm in now. 
A hundred percent. And I would use my dog as a, the comparison because he was a sweetheart. And it's funny because I was never really a dog person to begin with. I was way too OCD when I was younger. And like <laughs> For so long, I was like, they're at the door when you get home. That's so annoying. <laughs> Can you just like, give me a minute? It. Yeah, honestly, I'm like, I need space. <laughs> It's like Anchorman when uh, Will Ferrell comes in. It's like the dog's barking. Do you see the Baxter or whatever his name? Oh, no, it's Baxter. He's like, you ate the whole bowl of cheese? Like, I can't even be mad. That's impressive. Um, no, my my uh, my introduction to dogs was by virtue of a beautiful girlfriend that I had many years ago. And uh, she was always a dog animal person. And I loved animals and I was always very affectionate and I cared about sentient beings. And But I you know, was a Virgo and so everything had to be tidy and, you know. That's you what get... Jenna said. Jenna's like, he's such a Virgo. <laughs> That's how she described you. He's like the number one Virgo. <laughs> you get it. But actually now looking at my chart, I'm triple Virgo, triple Leo. Like if you look through the Vedic system. So. Wow. Which explains a lot more for me. It, may, it, it sort of yeah. softens the, the, and look at, saying you're Virgo doesn't really match. You've got to look at the depth of the mm-hmm. chart, right? So someone could be Virgo, Virgo son, like that's what they're reading in the newspaper or the glossy magazines, but. It's really not the, the the mainstay of their personality. So anyway, but the point is there are certain Virgo tendencies that are, you know, across the board and everyone can relate, which is like tidiness and order. And so a dog is, you know, sort of mm-hmm. the antithesis of that, as is a child, you know. So so when you have a puppy, which is a dog child, <laughs> it was it was it was messy. But golly, does you know, did it elicit a, another level of love? Mm-hmm. And um so anyway, the girlfriend and I were still very close, but we separated after a year or two and I kept the dog. So to come back to the, to the actual point of my story is that I would look at my dog as magnificent as he was, and he really was. Um, he's not reflecting on his existence, right? He's not like, wow, like, why did I bark at that particular puppy? You know, mm-hmm. why was I scared of that particular person who walked past? Like, there's no introspection. And so that's where I really started to recognize the gift that it is to have this prefrontal cortex and the ability to reflect and and be human, which is to know thyself, like to really be able to recognize, wait a minute, I'm not this meat suit. I've become collapsed and misidentified with my body and my brain as though I'm Peter Crone and da-da-da. But really, it's just a cosmic mirror to recognize, okay, there's something deeper here that's no different than what's deeper in you. And that's that quintessential namaste, right? The divine Mm -hmm. in me, recognize the divine in you. It's so interesting in the social media world because know thyself has almost become something where it's like know thyself and identify with labels, Mm -hmm. whether you're even doing astrology or human design or you're even sort of identifying trauma patterns, belief, limiting beliefs like therapy and self-help is so popular on Instagram that it's almost like people are knowing thyself through the labels that they're applying to who they are. They're like, I'm someone that is anxious attachment style. Right. I am, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I am someone that is codependent. I am so, someone that is all of these things. Do you think that people can find more freedom in these labels as an access point to feeling more confident in who they are or understanding themselves more? Or do you think that these can put limits on our ability to really reach our fullest potential? Definitely the latter, like hands down. There's no freedom in misidentifying with narratives that are by default confining. It's quite the antithesis, right? So I'd actually my work is to be able to dissolve these constraints which exist in language. So when somebody has, whether it be the anxiety, the depression, the addiction, or however they're like perceiving themselves, that is a, it's a byproduct of who they think themselves to be at a, at a deeper level, right? So the anxiety is not really something I would focus on personally. That's just the 
extension of living in a confined language or linguistic prison that is like, I'm not safe. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was someone who grew up in a family where there was a lot of volatility. The parents like argued a lot. Maybe the dad raised the voice a lot at the kid or there were these sort of mercurial outbursts that like for a kid is like that came out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and and now I'm prepared for that to come out of nowhere ongoingly and that starts to become anxiety Mm -hmm. so for me I'm I'm always looking to reverse engineer people's symptoms and their life experiences into okay well who must you be in the way that you relate to yourself that gives rise to the thoughts feelings and actions you have that is now consequently the the outcomes that you have Mm -hmm. in your life right most people are trying to change the outcomes they focus on behavior and action like oh well you should do this or do that and it's like it's too late. Like you're already doing what you're doing because of the way you're programmed. And now someone's telling you to do something different than mm-hmm. the way that you're programmed, which is only going to create more stress and mm-hmm. frustration because you're never going to be able to fulfill on it because mm-hmm. you're not wired that way. So that's why I find my work, at least it seems to be in society, well received because they're like, oh, wait, this makes sense. If I don't change who I am fundamentally in the way that I view myself, it's going to be for naught if I keep trying to change my behavior. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, hitting your head against the wall. Like the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing yeah. over and over and expecting different results. So, What is the relationship then, I guess? Is it the subconscious that is fully responsible then for the experience that people have? Or I guess is the subconscious working in the background until it's manifested into our conscious mind? Or what's the relationship between the subconscious and sort of what people are experiencing on a day-to-day basis? That's a great question. So I wouldn't say it's fully responsible because I think that puts too much onus on that aspect yeah. of our identity. It's predominantly... Not everyone's like, it's all my subconscious. <laughs> right, right. <I've> <laughs> Another find, box. <laughs> gotta find that mother. Um, They're like, am I doing this right? <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a huge strategy that people use. It's exhausting. It's like trying to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. So let's get out of that box. No, so it's the subconscious is really... It's kind of like helpful, right? Like, obviously, I came here Mm -hmm. to have this beautiful conversation with you. And I got here by virtue of a lot of subconscious programming, right? I know how to drive Mm -hmm. my car, I know how to walk up the steps, and I had to knock on the door. You know, I didn't have to learn those things. Like you take a child or an infant, and like, they're not going to get here, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't have those programs intact. So there's a big component of our subconscious which is incredibly functional and the, the utilities that it gives us in being human is, is, is absolutely like second to none in terms of its importance to be functional, right? Like I don't want to have to get out of bed every day and go, oh shit, I've got to learn Starting how to walk over. again. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> yeah, just by the end of the day, I was like, yeah, I, I, mean, I almost made it out. I got but, it. Yeah, <laughs> I almost made it out of bed. Yeah. So the things that I look at in terms of subconscious are much more to do with what I would assert is like the karmic journey of an individual, right? Mm-hmm. So that you arrived just by virtue of being a mammal and you've discovered these different ways of being functional and hopefully, you know, somewhat kind and caring and, you you know, you drive your car as best you can and you, you walk relatively, you know, gracefully. <laughs> you've got these things down, right? But it's the conversations that people have which get triggered in our childhood and our formative years where there's this feeling of inadequacy or insecurity mm-hmm. or scarcity. So it's those components of the scare, the subconscious that really are the bedrock, the foundation for what I assert is suffering. And I make a distinction between suffering, which is psychological and emotional and pain, which is just part of being a sentient being. You know, mm-hmm. like if I get up from the table and I hit my knee on the, it's going to, you know, there's a pain, there's a hurt. And there's different thresholds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somebody comes at you with a, what are those things called? Those pool, like, what are those? The rubber, <laughs> the, 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 you're like, I don't know what the guy's talking about. Like, like, the, um, they're, they're like these like foam things that kids have in the pool. Like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, those noodles. Noodles. Thank noodles. you. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I didn't expect that to be the example. <laughs> noodles. 
I just like to be tangential. People get like, like so okay, focused. Oh my god, what do you say? It's so like I've got to pay attention. It's like noodles, what? Yeah, noodles, <laughs> noodles. So yeah, you know, someone comes at you with a noodle. Mm-hmm. The relative trauma to your body is like negligible, and it's almost actually comical, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's no there's no actual injury. Conversely, someone comes at you with like a six-inch knife, you know, and it's, it's an awful image, but if they were to cut your skin, you know, the, the ability, the threshold of the skin can't withstand that. So likewise, emotionally, so what happens is during trauma as a child, like there's different degrees, like, you know, for a friend to just make fun of you as a kid, like because you dropped the basketball, okay, it's not going to hurt. But when you overhear your dad saying to your mom, I wish we'd had a boy, and it's a daughter hearing that in the background, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a degree of trauma that does penetrate. And so it's these subconscious patterns that we deal with as adults that manifest as the well-justified or explained anxiety, depression, or I can't find a good partner, or I don't have enough self-worth in the marketplace, and I'm not getting paid what I think. All of these trials and tribulations that are very everyday and commonplace, they sit on the subconscious prisons that ISA got stimulated. They didn't get created by parents. There's no blame here. I would say we arrive as these limitless beings with our own karma to reconcile during the course of our life. And those get turned on sort of like, I'm sure you're familiar with epigenetics, right? Like, so diet and lifestyle will impact the way that the proteins in our DNA will manifest as like you have a heart attack or you don't. And so likewise, emotionally, there's certain triggers that happen during our childhood that we overhear something, we're told something, we have this failure, we go to school and the teacher says da da da. And it's like, I'm suddenly now not good enough, or I'm a failure or I'm not safe, as I said earlier, with regards to anxiety. So that part of the subconscious is really what I'm accessing. And again, not fully responsible, but it is a huge component of why people, as I said, deal with suffering and the everyday woes that then they try and mitigate and escape with whatever means they they can. Because as humans, we want to avoid pain and try and Mm -hmm. find pleasure. But Yeah, with that then, how do you access the subconscious? Is it something that you do through hypnosis or... Could someone, I guess, who's like a conscious person notice their subconscious in their conscious state where they're like, oh, I'm having this thought, I'm having this thought, but I'm choosing something different? Or how do you feel like it's best to access the subconscious to understand first the beliefs that you're working with and then obviously to rewrite them? It's tough. I mean, to answer the first part, yes, a conscious person could in theory, Mm -hmm. like if they're super astute and very aware. it's tough, you know, because even for myself and for whatever reasons, my brain's programmed the way it is where, one, I was blessed to have some epiphanies like Mm -hmm. the the girl story that you kind of touched on earlier. And then secondly, just my ability to self-reflect and analyze. And I just have this formulaic way of understanding thoughts and language. But for the most part, I think you need reflection. Mm -hmm. And that reflection doesn't have to be a therapist. You know, I did a, I think I did a post from a podcast a while back where I was saying like, you know, it doesn't have to be a psychiatrist. It doesn't have to be a spiritual teacher. It doesn't have to be a Peter Crone. Although that the latter is obviously the, the, the best. The, the best. Yes. <laughs> You're so beautiful. Yes. If you want real change. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the, the catalyst could be your spouse. It could be your mother-in-law. It could be your own parents. It could be your sibling. It could be a co-worker. It could be your boss. And what it's really leading to is what is the trigger for where you, quote-unquote, come out of this state of equilibrium where whatever you consider to be your norm where you're happy go lucky you're going through life and then boom something happens you get triggered you get pissed you get upset that is the access point to the subconscious because it's never the event now 
aside from the one that I was giving you earlier with the noodles and the knife, which is more graphic, you know, no one's actually hurting you by saying, hey, you did a lousy job or, you know, someone I'm doing a mastermind right now. And this one girl shared that, like, actually, it's her family member who said, you know, we don't think that you're management material within the company. And that really upset her. Mm -hmm. But him saying we don't think you're management material isn't what hurt her. What hurt her was what those words actually triggered that she already believed about herself, mm -hmm. that she's somehow inadequate. So to access the subconscious for her, of course, she's in my mastermind, so that helps her. But so it would be like, okay, well, that's what was said. There's no harm in the language. If he was speaking Greek or Chinese, it wouldn't hurt her because she wouldn't understand and it wouldn't be able to correlate to the view that she already has as part of her identity. Mm -hmm. And then, so I pointed out, okay, well, that's the opportunity. That's the teacher. It's like, so what does his words in this case reveal about what you really believe because if somebody had a real sense of self-worth and they say oh, we don't think you're management material there would be a different reaction it wouldn't be the sulking the depression and the kind of yeah. like the cowering it would be more like you know if they were aggressive it could be like well fuck you i'm mm -hmm. going to start my own company or like they wouldn't they wouldn't be thwarted because of someone else's language or someone could have more like a middle of the road just a sense of self-worth and confidence and go okay that's interesting maybe there's something for me to look at or perhaps I'm just in the wrong company because I'm not being valued. But it wouldn't be something that impacted them in a way that they feel worse about themselves. So really, to answer your question, the way to access subconscious is just to notice wherever you get upset. Mm -hmm. It's one of my more popular quotes, you know, that's pulled from my book that's not finished yet, but it's that life will present you with people and circumstances to reveal where you're not free. Mm -hmm. And so the reveal of where you're not free is accessing the, the subconscious. You just, you know, and it doesn't, again, just because I've explained it this way, it doesn't make it that easy. You still got to go, okay, well, I've had this pattern forever, but like, what is it actually revealing in the way that I continually, that's the thing you want to notice. It's a consistent thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, I dated this one guy and he was a little abusive, but physically and then i dated another guy and he was sort of abusive maybe emotionally it seemed to be a bit of an upgrade but what's the theme is abuse and the bigger theme is you right like mm -hmm. the person who's attracting that guy so then it's like hmm maybe my way of viewing myself isn't that like i don't have the greatest sense of high esteem and so the the circumstances i'm attracting is really the mirror of life which is helping me to see that perhaps i have an opportunity to improve my own sense of self-worth yeah, I think so then how because that's sort of moving from victim mindset to like a creator mindset or mm -hmm. just like a more free mindset. So and sometimes I actually get a little I sometimes am a little disheartened because I feel like it's it's so much that moment like you had with your partner or the moment of the awakening where you're like, oh, wow, I am the creator of my reality or am yeah. participating in this reality. And it's almost like you can't plan for it mm -hmm. and you can't really try for that moment. It just happens upon you. What would you suggest for people who are currently in victim mindset or firstly before that, how would you identify if you're in a victim mindset? How would someone identify that? I mean, fundamentally, again, going back to the word suffering, mm -hmm. right? Suffering is a strong word. And I think it gets misconstrued because people think of suffering and then they'll like get these images of people in developing world countries where they're not eating or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's about recalibrating language and understanding what that, what that word holds. So suffering really is the absence of peace for me, right? So if somebody's not in a state of peace, for them, it might be like, I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm worried, I'm scared. I'm lonely. Like the, so any of what we could say is a suite of emotions that are more on the negative side, like that right there is 
that's where you're quote unquote not free. There's the opportunity. So I just in another podcast that was asked, he's like, so, so how do people like, you know, get to this place where they can access it? I'm like, just live life. Mm-hmm, 100%. <laughs> just keep moving. You're going to get triggered. You're going to get pissed you off. You <laughs> plan for some of it, you no. know, and it's like just recognizing it. But I think in this situation too, it's also like, where would you want the reality to be different than what it is? And mm-hmm. that's also a good indicator, like in your abuse situation, yeah. if we're thinking about someone that's been, had a pattern of abusive relationships, it's like, if you're currently in a situation where you're wanting a different result than the abusive relationships, mm-hmm. that probably is a good opportunity for you to look at where you could be more free or where there is suffering and then lead back to the subconscious belief. Yeah. No, it's a nice formulaic way of approaching it. It's basically recognizing where are you getting upset by yeah. anything and then not collapsing the upset with the event, right? That's where people get stuck is that they think, I'm upset because my boss said something, my spouse said something, my dad did da-da-da. And that is that is the victim mindset. The, it's a very subtle but powerful distinction, which is most people think that they're a victim of what happened, but they're not. They're a victim of their perception of what happened. So it goes a layer deeper. So you're never upset by what happened. You're always upset by the interpretation, the lens that you're looking through, which is part of your subconscious programming, which is really a revisitation. It's If you look at the word reaction, like, oh, they're so reactive. Like it's a reaction of something that you've already like you're accustomed to or you're familiar with. So when somebody says something as an adult, it may not be the same words and certainly not the same person, but the resonance or the implication behind their words stimulates a part of the brain that was hurt by the same quality of judgment or criticism that maybe you received as a kid. And so that's the reactivation of that channel. And so that's that's the undoing process. Mm-hmm. That's where the freedom is on the other side of that, which there's, there's no easy task. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, again, I bring a lot of compassion to the people that either obviously work with me directly, but that, that are wanting to break free of these patterns, you know, and that to me is the real game of being human. We're not here to amass millions of followers and plenty of cash and get a corner office and a fancy house. No, that's the human game, mm-hmm. right? And for me, I'm playing the the spiritual evolution game, which is, no, 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 this paradigm called planet Earth, it's a bit of a shitbox as we're recognizing certainly in the last couple of years. And it's kind of designed that way because you're not supposed to stay here. You know, you're moving mm-hmm. on to the next quote-unquote level. And so you can try and perfect everything here, but first of all, good luck. You know, it's like trying to stay dry in the shower. Mm-hmm. So where can you find some semblance of peace in the, even in the midst of chaos, right? Where can I go, oh, oh, okay, like I'm the one creating my own disturbance. I'm the victim of my own narrative. And in fact, to your point earlier, like I'm fully responsible for my experience. I'm not fully responsible necessarily for the the events of life, but I am in the way that I respond, even if that's unconscious, right? So there's a lot of emphasis. People say, oh, well, you know, there's that gap between what happens and how you respond, and it's up to you how you respond, which it's not inaccurate, but it puts a lot of pressure on people mm-hmm. because if they're oblivious to certain patterns, then their reactions are just automatic. So they can't be held accountable for that. So that gives people not a whole pass in the way that like, don't, don't worry about it, but a whole pass in terms of compassion. You can, only, you can only start to be responsible for something that you're now aware of, right? So that's the process of evolution. So I take people through that journey of like, okay, you have this natural proclivity to react to a certain thing because of your current conditioning. And so there's, there's compassion for that. And that hurts. And when somebody says this or that, and I get it. 
But let's look at why. Mm-hmm. Why are you reacting that way? And once I get, oh my God, like I remember that reminds me like when I was in grade four or five and like my teacher said this or the, I went up and did a show and tell and everyone laughed. And from that moment, I thought I was a failure. Whatever the events were that then they're like, oh my, I've been doing that forever. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, let's, let's investigate the validity of that view of yourself. It's never a truth. And once you find freedom from that, now you automatically have different thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And so there's nothing to instruct that person to do, but they suddenly have a newfound sense of power. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not in an overt way, but like, oh, wow, I can actually, somebody could say the same criticism tomorrow. There may be a little residue of like, oh, that kind of sings a bit, but you're not going to have the same overarching mm-hmm. feeling of frustration or reaction or upset. So, When you're talking about the pathways, are you talking about neural pathways or, or what sort of... Because I guess I want to explore the relationship between the brain, the prefrontal cortex, sort of what happens when that comes online. Because mm-hmm. that was a lot of the reason why we started the podcast, because there's such an expansion or there's such a reorientation you have to do when that prefrontal cortex comes online, because it's almost like you become conscious to your life in such a real way. Yeah. So when we're talking about the sort of stories that and limiting beliefs that you have, do you think that those are neural pathways that we're choosing to continue to use in our brain instead of something that might be more expansive i mean first of all i just you know on the record i like i'm i'm not a neuroscientist <laughs> like i'm i traffic in language you are to me <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> um, so um I, I don't know the actual anatomy of what's happening yeah. the way i look at it is more you know, frequency precedes form is one of the ways that I will phrase like my work. So frequency in this case is the resonance of vibration of language. Mm-hmm. Language will then inform what happens in terms of what shape. So the neuro, the neuro pathways in terms of like the brain, the prefrontal cortex, the actual anatomy of a human mm-hmm. being. Obviously, there's a certain underlying foundation that's called our DNA, right? You're going to have predispositions based on what you've inherited from your parents just in terms of the hardware. Mm-hmm. But then you could take two people who are twins, you know, and I'm sure they've done this experiment, and if not, they should. But, you know, you separate twins and you start to see, based on different environment, how even though they have the same genetic programming, the one may have a predisposition based on a family lineage of, like, heart attacks. And with a lifestyle that is pretty decadent and hedonistic and eating shitty food that, sure enough, mid-40s has a heart attack like his father. And then the other one who's got the same, quote-unquote, hardware but was brought up in a very loving uh, environment conducive to health and wellness and there was a lot of activity. And he may, in a similar period of his life, go, oh, like I'm a little, I feel a little tight in my mm-hmm. chest, but he doesn't have a heart attack, right? So there's sort of that residual, but it's been somewhat mitigated because of the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's sort of the same in the mind, at least the way I look at it, is that the the laying down of the, the neuroplasticity of someone's brain is informed by the frequency, the frequency being informed by the language, which is what they hear. Like when a kid is told you're a mistake, that might seem like a sort of a like throwaway comment from a parent who's disgruntled, maybe under stress from work, and they're frustrated because their kid keeps asking for a toy. They can't afford it. They feel like, who knows what they're going through, but they're like, oh, you, you know, you're a mistake. So, but to that kid, that frequency now creates a feeling of worthlessness and even worse, like even though you're with a family in an abandonment session, right? Like where you're experienced, where you're, you're, you're just discarded. Now that will, as far as I'm concerned, that language, that frequency will start to create pathways that then become the habituation, right? So there's the event that over time when repeated starts to become someone's actual personality. And so that 
if we, you know, and someone correct me, I, I don't mind if I'm quote unquote wrong in terms of the, the biology of how the brain works, but that to me is like, it makes, makes sense. Let's, let's stick with that for now. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by better help oh, therapy. Y'all. I don't know. I just, I don't know what I did before therapy, to be completely honest with you. I think I was kind of a mess, but you know, found it when I was meant to, but I have been going to therapy for about six years now, which is so crazy. So crazy, but it has changed my life and I will continue to invest in therapy for as long as I can. I feel like it has totally, totally made my relationships better, made my career better. I am a better mom. I am a better wife. I'm a better friend. I am a better daughter and sister. Y'all, it's just the gift that keeps on giving. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do, this is it. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you get matched and you're like, yeah, not quite a fit, they make it easy and it's free to change. But I've had a lot of friends try BetterHelp and love it. So I really, really encourage you to start therapy. It's been the best decision I've ever made for myself. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash almost 30 today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash almost 30. Um, when you were talking about vibrational frequency, it's I was thinking about before this emotions and really thinking about emotions because I've been someone that's wanting to express and feel more of my emotions and nice. really be in them and allow them to come and go. Yeah. But but emotions have their own vibrational frequency that's yeah. greater than our normal vibrational state. So mm-hmm. do you think I guess what is your the relationship or what do you suggest for folks where they're allowing themselves to feel their feelings, but we're not really getting stuck in it. So that's not our state forever. Or what's the relationship between that? So we're not just bypassing how we feel and essentially lying to ourselves. Yeah. Great question. And I think to sort of preempt my response, I like to make the distinction between feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. So, you, so first of all, kudos to you that you're wanting to express more of your emotions. And I would say that's really... Feelings are the accumulate. Sorry, emotions are the accumulations of feelings over time, right? Mm-hmm. So, we're sentient beings. We can't help but feel. Like it's hot, it's cold. You go outside, it's windy. Like you, you're going to feel, right? You can't not feel. What happens is, by virtue of the way that we're raised and the various feelings of perceived threat, perceived inadequacy, insecurity, like don't do this, kids should be seen and not heard. Kids are having feelings, but they become conditioned to think my feelings are now inappropriate. Being me is no longer enough. I have to behave in a certain way to garner the love and acceptance that I crave as a, as a being. And so the feelings, when had the initial time that elicited whatever the inappropriate or the scary response from a parent that that child then went through is like, okay, don't have that feeling again. But they can't not have the feeling again. All they can do is try and suppress it or manage it. Now, that suppressed feeling over time accumulates to become an emotion. So the suppressed feeling might be hurt. Everyone's going to feel hurt, right, in different ways. And I'm not talking about physically. like, But like you're hurt. Somebody said something or, you know, you're left out. You're picked last for the team, whatever it is. So when you're a teenager to certainly when you become an adult, having the feeling of being hurt starts to become both impractical, unacceptable, embarrassing. You know, you're not a three-year-old who's hurt and it's fine to like throw a tantrum in the middle of Whole Foods, right? 
But as you become an adult, you learn to tamper all of that. So now that hurt that accumulates over a decade plus for a lot of people, many decades, starts to manifest as anger, resentment. Now that's the emotion. So the fact that you're expressing emotions is great because that might then give you access to what's actually beneath it, Mm -hmm. right? Anger to me is a coping mechanism for somebody who's been really hurt. Mm-hmm. so they say oh he's really angry or the, think about a dog going back to my dog like if you go near a dog to a pet and they start growling and they come and try and even bite you and people are, wow that's a shitty dog it's like no that dog has probably had the repetition of a hand coming near it and being hit mm-hmm. and so now that's just a trigger it's like pavlovian right mm-hmm. like so it's like it's just protecting itself so anger equally is an emotional response as a coping strategy to somebody who's been emotionally either abused or hurt it's an appropriate way. It's not great for society and mm-hmm. it's probably not great for personal relationships. But for the organism that that person is, it's, it's, it's appropriate. It's understandable. So, so that's how I distinguish the feelings and emotions. And instead of doing the, the spiritual bypasses you're alluding to, it's like it is important to be able to like, okay, find a safe space, a good girlfriend, a good guy friend, a partner, a parent, somebody that you know has your best interests at heart and they know how to listen. And by listening, I mean, there's no judgment. Just like scream shout i'm pissed at this i hate that da, da, da. it's okay like just like uh i think women do this really well and mothers particularly for the most part hopefully more than most but like for their kids you know like a mother's energy that sort of ma- quintessential maternal energy is unconditional love if we were to give it like an equality so when a kid falls down and they have their boo-boo and maybe their knee scraped and they're crying the mother doesn't come in with some sort of analytical approach to like well you know that's going to happen if you run at speed that you're not accustomed to because your skeleton's not strong enough yet and it's like you know they're like what like you know like you look at your left shoe like it's slightly turned, like you know it's like that becomes very masculine and it's analytical mm-hmm. maybe appropriate if someone's like wanting to improve in this case their ability to walk or run or whatever but the initial response needs to be as far as i'm concerned feminine so that's the space so similar for you it's like whether you talk to your husband or a girlfriend is to be able to go no i'm having a moment whether it's a tantrum or something milder where i just want to be able to express and girlfriends do that for themselves great most guys boyfriends you know no knock to my 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 buddies out there but like you know most guys are shitty listeners right Mm -hmm. like they're like well you know, you're you're expressing that, like, I'm so upset. My girlfriend didn't call me back and da-da-da. And, like, you know, it's like, like I was really excited to hear from her. And, like, and he's like, well, why didn't you just text her? Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> it's like, did you even hear what I said? Like, I'm not looking for a solution. I'm upset. Could you just hear my upset? I just say, I'm like, just <laughs> let me talk without making sense for, like, <laughs> one whole hour. I just want to, I say that to Lindsay all the time. I'm like, let me just rip. Mm-hmm. Let it be inappropriate. Let it be yeah. wild and crazy and just forget about it. Yeah. The next hour, just be like, I'm going to be like, Totally feel new. Yeah. So it is that avenue that is safe, which mm-hmm. sadly most people don't have. And I think that's where a lot of people find comfort in my work, whether they work with me personally or they just listen to shows like this that I'm fortunate to be on, is they're like, okay, there's an absence of something. In this case, there's the absence of judgment. There's the absence of criticism, the absence of you should do this. It's just like I'm just listening. You know, the number of times I've been on a flight, sit next to a stranger, we get off, we say, hey, nice to meet you. And they're like, you know what's funny? It's like, I've never even told my wife that. Or I've never yes. told my husband. And it's like, you know, and I'm not saying I'm the only one that affords that space, but they, there's a safety. And so that's, that to me is one of the most important things, whether you have a therapist or not, to go back to my point earlier about like, you know, life will trigger you. But if you can find a safe space where you can really be fully 
your identity it's not your real self but meaning like just express then you can there's usually some gold at the end of that mm-hmm. you know and even if the only gold you get is affinity with somebody because you felt heard like that's beautiful mm-hmm. you know that's love like thank you for thank you for letting me vent you know and i didn't need a solution i didn't need like some yeah. high and philosophical analytical assessment with a spreadsheet and excel god you know to tell me why it's just like no i get mm-hmm. it like you're human and that sucked i'm sorry you went through that I think that would be interesting to talk about and sort of explore for the audience. Like, how do you, how can we help them to be a safer space for people? Mm -hmm. It's mostly women that listen, but what is the formula for being a safe space for the other people in their community with hopes that that can be an example for themselves so that they can be heard and seen in a better way? One word, love. Yeah. Love. And, uh, you know, it's easy to throw around. And unfortunately, in today's society, we get, you know, spoon fed, maybe through a fire hose sometimes but like the way that we're supposed to interpret love you know it's like you complete me and all of these things that we yeah. see in celluloid and movies but love is is it's all accepting you know it doesn't have an agenda it it allows you know there's a term called grant beingness like which is like i grant you the beingness that you are right now like and and it's may seem like a weird choice of words but you know to allow someone to be who they are right now with everything that they're feeling is arguably one of the greatest gifts you can give a human being it doesn't mean you want them to hang there you know like uh, i've had so many moments like some filmed and people ask questions like well weren't you upset because they were crying and i'm like i'm just i'm just letting them be where they're at because there's a deeper confidence that i know what's on the other side of that there's nothing wrong with them that's just what they feel there's not really hurt that's just what they feel and invariably when we sort of empty the bucket of our own experience what you're left with is that that vast space of nothingness, which is itself liberating. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I feel, I feel lighter. And the quintessential term of, oh, they've got a lot of baggage. You know, like, what is that, like, what is that pointing to? It's mm-hmm. like the unexpressed emotion. So how many kids do we see in films or in our own homes where the, the child is tugging at the mum's dress or the dad's trousers or pants and, Daddy, daddy, mummy, mummy, mummy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I've got to. And so that kid really, to me, is a reflection of the unheard mm-hmm. soul, the unheard being, where no one actually granted them space. So for the people listening out there who want to afford that to people and certainly would love to get that to, for themselves, is just be responsible for where you're not listening, mm-hmm. right? So rather than trying to focus on how do I do that, the access is ironically in noticing where you don't. So you have a husband, you have a wife, you had a kid, you've got a parent, you've got a whatever. And you're like, you know what? Like, even this morning, like before they're listening to this, like so-and-so was saying something and I was judging them. Mm-hmm. Not in an overt way. I wasn't calling them an idiot or like, but I can hear in my own mind. I'm like, wow, I can't believe they did that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like so to to be able to notice where we don't afford people. And in a very simple lay term, it's like, where are you making somebody wrong? Mm-hmm. And I had to go through this myself. It was really quite painful because I loved this person I dated. It was the same girl that was sort of the catalyst for my my start of my journey. And I realized at one point, like, I was like, wow, like, I really do love her. Like, there's genuine love, albeit shrouded with my own fear of loss. But then underneath it, there was a confusion. It's like, well, she's beautiful and she's smart. Like, why, why didn't she have a job? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right? And that was yeah. in a way that was very subtle. Like I've never yeah. been abusive. I've never even pushed a, a dude as an athlete growing up in college. Like I've never been in a fight. It's never been, you know, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But but I noticed however subtle and however mild, it was nonetheless 
I was making her wrong for where she's at. And it just turned out that she didn't, she didn't know what to do. She didn't have that sort of guttural fortitude for herself. She didn't have a lot of self-worth, you know. And so for me, it's like I could see her in a way, but her way of seeing herself was not that. And when I really got that, first of all, it hurt because I don't want to make anyone wrong. That's not my nature. I want to allow people to be who they are. First of all, it's not for me to allow. They are, but Mm -hmm. I I certainly didn't want to add any criticism. Most people are walking around with enough of their own. So, but when I saw it, I just, I really got, I just wanted to be with her over there, right? Not not my view of her. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized most people aren't in relationship because they're in the relationship with the view of the the partner, not with the partner. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think women fall prey to this a lot. Like they get into relationships with the potential of a guy. <laughs> I'm like, how about you just date the guy? <laughs> and, and if he, you know, meet someone who's fulfilled that, I mean, potential is forever being fulfilled. But, you know, you get my point. It's yes. like, oh, no, no, I see so much potential. I'm like, yeah, yeah. You, know, you see it, he doesn't. That's the problem. <laughs> Have you ever seen the show Couples Therapy? No, I'm not much of a okay. TV, TV Same, guy. but I was, I, it's on YouTube and it's on Showtime. Mm-hmm. And it's so good because you watch couples go through therapy and you can just, Mm -hmm. and being the third person, you're like, I know where they're doing this. You can sort of really, Mm -hmm. not in a judgmental way, but you can be like, okay, wow, this is them and they're not self. You know what I mean? How people sort of collapse into their patterns and processes and just sort of get in that ego defensive mode. Yeah, But it's like that. I see, you see so much in couples therapy, the women are just, it is like, it's kind of heart, it was kind of heartbreaking to see (laughs) how they kind of lose themselves and I'll identify in this as well. It's like, you can kind of lose yourself in this idea or fantasy of someone and how you want them to be mm-hmm. and the hypercriticalness of women yeah. for themselves. And then for others is just, it's I mean, just, it was such yeah. a interesting thing to watch. Cause I was like, wow, when have I done that? When have I been that critical or when have I been that hard on people that I loved? How do you know it's critical and how do you know you're holding someone to the high, to a higher standard for themselves? So subtle distinction, I'd say one is coming from a position of criticism, right? Like, so going back to what I said, you're fundamentally saying something's wrong would be the way that I articulate it. On the flip side, you're saying something's possible. So there's very subtle, but you can hear the resonance, right? So if something's wrong, it's an oppressive energy. It's sort of contracting, suppressing, I'm holding something down. Whereas something's possible is I'm believing in the progression, the realization, the actualization of something. It's an opening. It's an offering. It's this invitation. Like, I, I see how incredible you could be. And this is a power of acknowledgement, like saying, wow, you know, like you speak to a kid, you speak to a, to a friend, and you speak to their possibility. It's an invitation, an energetic invitation for them to step into an iteration of themselves that they've yet to realize. Do you feel I like... I have to write that down. Yeah, yeah you're like, that's a quote. <laughs> I, yeah. We'll send you the video. <laughs> with that, I guess with the energy and of words, do you suggest for people to sort of feel how it feels in their body in those sort of situations? Or how do you judge the resonance of words? Or how do you know if a word in that case or a phrase in that case is giving someone more possibility rather than... The, than making them feel limited. Mm -hmm. I guess I just want to talk about the relationship between words because you're so specific with your words Mm -hmm. and how people can go about understanding the vibrational frequency of words and their importance. Yeah, and I think it again depends on the individual. Mm -hmm. And I would say just as a basic kind of differentiation, the women are going to be much more body sensitive, Mm -hmm. so they're going to feel more and men are going to be a little bit more analytical. So that's as a generalization, right? Obviously, there's, there's... 
there's gradients within that. But so it's really come back to a feeling. We're sentient beings, right? So somebody could say something to you that is on the surface a compliment, but the resonance by which they deliver it kind of feels like eh, mm. that was a bit of a slight. So that's where you go back to more subtle forms of communication, which are intuition, guttural instinct, you know, like when people even say, like, I have a bad vibe about that mm-hmm. guy, right? Like, could be wearing an Armani suit. Not, I don't know if anyone wears those anymore, but... <laughs> like, she's still Blue alive. lemon suit. <laughs> right, right, <Blue> lemon. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, again, it's getting beyond appearances, which yeah. unfortunately is a species we tend to put a lot of emphasis on, right? It's all about how are we coming across. So really, we want to recognize beyond the facade of something, we want to be able to be sufficiently sensitive to trust our instincts, which again, have become somewhat compromised over time, to what degree that's because people are just not very healthy, they're too busy trying to fight and flight and survive. So but that's women, I think, do that way better than guys, you know, guys tend to be very analytical, women can sense something. So that's what I invite people, especially your audience, predominantly female is like, you know, trust your feelings, like, a woman can usually tell, and certainly a mother, right? Like there's this sort of entanglement theory in the realm of quantum physics where even with a mother and their own child, like it could be 18, 19-year-olds sort of a college, but the mother's like, I'm just going to check on because I just feel something. Like they could be on the other side of the country or the world, right? So that lean into that and learn to trust. What happens is because we get conditioned to think, well, no, that's inappropriate, don't do that, or you're supposed to act a certain way, then the mind tends to override, it gets a little noisy in there. And it's like, okay, I really want to say something. Like, think about class, how many times have we not understood something as a kid, and we wanted to Mm -hmm. ask a question, which was the instinct, but then the override of the ego and the mind narrative was like, well, don't put your hand up, because what if it's a stupid question, or you look like an idiot? Or And so now that gets... So we actually start to strengthen the muscle of suppression. Mm-hmm. So that person is more likely to end up in a relationship where they're, you know, not necessarily abused, but potentially, but certainly they're somewhat oppressed. So... Yeah, it's, it, it really comes down to, again, freedom, freedom being the precursor to full self-expression, right? If you're fully self-expressed, whether it's an emotion or a feeling, and it goes back to your question earlier about emotions, is that you tend not to even get to the emotional mm-hmm. state. Because if you're free enough and have sufficient self-worth, then you express your feelings as they arise. And they're much smaller, right? Because they're appropriate to the moment. Like, like I can remember, it was such a beautiful moment. I was in London, this is many years ago, and it was it was probably about a decade after I'd left college, but I revisited with some of my college friends because I was back over there. And there's this one girl that I was always super close to and she was so beautiful. And we'd just been hanging out for the day and we went to some pub and we we're going to have some lunch or something and her phone rang. And she obviously put the phone to her here and all of a sudden her face kind of went this ashen gray and then all of a sudden she's just like bawling her eyes out. And so she hangs up and she lets us know that was her dad. And her dad called to let her know that her grandpa had died, his dad. Mm-hmm. That was an appropriate feeling. And she was with friends. And we could argue that it was unavoidable because she was so close to him. But that that allowing those feelings was actually, and it might seem weird, and certainly to the listener, I was jealous. Mm. Even though the event was arguably like sad and traumatic and not what she wanted. But there was such a beauty yeah. in the authenticity of her feelings being expressed 
And maybe it's because I never really got to have that with my mom. I was seven. I didn't understand. I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze here. But, you know, there was, there was just a beauty when somebody expresses themselves authentically fully. And so what happened is, because then obviously I was supporting her and helping her, she didn't really have emotion. She would revisit it, but she would have memories and happy sort of the sense of gratitude for the relationship. It wasn't, she didn't become bitter, which could have been a byproduct of suppressing feelings. Or she didn't become angry or she didn't like accuse life of being unfair because she had had ex- exercised the appropriate response to the sadness that is very human. Mm-hmm. And there was no inhibition of that. And it's really beautiful. So you know, unfortunately, nowadays, most people have not been doing that consistently. And so there is a backlog of emotions and it's anger, it's suppression, it's resignation, it's depression, it's anxiety. It's And and that's okay. Start there, you know, and then find a safe space to express and see what's really going on beneath the surface, which, you know, not to spoiler alert, but really to me, it comes down to two fundamental feelings, which is you're hurt or you're scared. You start to see that the most powerful instrument we have is mind and the way that it's conditioned. And if it's an external force, it does make a difference, right? Like a kid growing up in a family where the parents have certain narratives, even if it's like traditions of religion, none of which are wrong, but like, you know, the kid's going to adopt them, right? Just because you're in that environment. So the same for us as a species, if there are these overarching conversations, whether you call it propaganda or news, whatever it is, it's like, you know, you buy into it and then that becomes your own reality. So it takes, it takes discernment and it takes somebody who's willing to step back a minute and go, well, hang on a minute. This like, I'm not, I'm not sure this really vibes or makes sense. And, uh, it certainly seems like I was saying to you at the beginning, like it seems inappropriate to speak up, but it's an access to, again, having that freedom of self-expression and and maybe there's consequences of that, which I might have seen in my mm-hmm. social media. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I, I, as I said to you earlier, yeah, it might seem like it's a little scary to speak up, but I think it's scarier not to. So, mm-hmm. And did you feel like during that time when you were speaking up, was it, there a part of you that felt like it had to come out, like you had to be in expression? Yes, because, and this is why, you know, earlier before I was asked on a podcast, like, like, how come you're such a good listener? Like something that I'm known for, like somewhat of a superpower. And I said, well, the listening is a byproduct of really the absence of me, mm-hmm. right? Which may sound a bit poetic, but in the absence of the part of me that's trying to survive or hoping you like me or hoping that yes. what I'm saying is cool and that you're going to accept me or my own inherent fight or flight mechanisms that are at play, which we could call someone fundamentally being self-conscious. In the absence of that, what you're left with is just presence. So that's listening. So to answer your question, the same thing held true, which is in the absence of the part of me that's worried about what people think, in this case, the powers that be or whoever these sinister people canceling and censoring and shadow banning or whatever. It's like, I care too much, meaning about truth, Mm -hmm. that I don't have sufficient energy on what I personally might be worried about. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a very powerful place to go. That's like a stand, you know, like you're committed to something that, that... at least for me, feels like a fundamental truth that mm. is everybody's right to be human and to, whether it's choice in this case or body sovereignty. like So it's actually a disservice to me to speak up in that case because I would only be reinforcing or giving priority to the part of me that is equally scared. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live from that part. Like if, if Even if that's to my demise, which of course I hope it isn't, but it's like, would I rather live for another 60 years knowing that I'm living a lie? Mm. Or would I rather live for six years knowing that at least I honored the truth? I wonder too, it's like, because you've done so much work to make sure you're not living a lie or lies, it's like, then it becomes such a chink in your armor 
mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this is like uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, there are so many lies that they're living that they can't even recognize what's no, what's going on. Super astute of you, yeah. Like, and it starts so early. Like lying. If we look at the mechanism of mm-hmm. lying, it is equally a survival strategy, right? So, yeah. it starts. Think about the little kid. The kid, quote unquote, does something, gets in trouble. That's scary. That hurts. You feel abandoned. There's this primal concern for being kicked out of the gang in this case your family and if that happens it's part of our deep tribal dna like you're in the woods and you die right like it's it's a real sort of live or die situation of course that's not the case now hopefully not the case some families maybe (laughs) but so when that event happens again or the kid does something like that they're like they recall the consequences of their previous actions and so when they're called out like hey did you did you take the milk or did you steal the cookie from the fridge again? It's like, no. Right, so now you start lying. And it's a survival strategy. So at one level, we can have compassion that is just part of the human makeup, which is that we have fundamentally, the primordial imperative really of any mammal, any organism is to survive. And you're going to use whatever you have to survive. And so lying, you know, could be one more of the benign ones, although some lying can be like, you know, has big consequences. But so... If you can recognize, first of all, that mechanism within you with some love and acceptance, it's okay. Like, you know, Peter Crone has lied plenty of times. I just, it's not something I enjoy doing anymore Mm -hmm. because, like, to your point, it's like a stone in my shoe. Mm -hmm. It's like it just, it's, it doesn't vibe with my integrity. It, It can become so commonplace, like it becomes normalized for a person that they, I mean, look, especially in this town in LA, like, again, I don't want to make sort of these stereotypical comments, but like how many guys are married who are having affairs? I know. It becomes normalized. Yes. And But same on the flip side, like how many women kind of know that their husband is having an affair, but because of their deep-seated pattern of feeling inadequate, worthless, like they've normalized that. Like they justify it because of the lifestyle or, well, he buys me this or takes me there, da-da-da, or the security of the kids. or You know, that's what humans do. We rationalize mm-hmm. And it's not wrong. Again, I have love and compassion, but it's it's unfulfilling. It's it's a dis-ease. There's the absence of peace. Mm-hmm. And for me, my commitment is to peace and freedom at whatever expense. And that might seem a little bit, you know, melodramatic for people, but it, it I, I'm not here on planet Earth to just like be copiacetic and not ruffle feathers. And I'm not trying to ruffle feathers. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I'd much rather you know, upset a couple of people on my Instagram or whatever by speaking truth and just like try and keep everyone happy. Like, you know, it's just such a disservice both to myself and my audience because then I'm not being authentic anyway. Like, so who am I? You know, and this goes back to what I said earlier. Most people aren't in a relationship because they're being who they think they should be in order to not upset the person they're in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, then you're not in a relationship. Mm-hmm. You're, you're in this facade, this pretense where you're actually more in a relationship with your own concerns, fears, inadequacies than you are with the other person. And I'm not saying that that's going to result well if you start being honest, but at least you'll have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may seem like a crass example, but I've always said like, I'd much rather, you know, meet someone and they're like, they just say, like, you know what? I find your work to be, like, very contentious. I'm, I think you're a bit of an idiot, and I don't really agree. Like, that to me is a much more flattering response than somebody says, hey, oh, my God, like, nice to meet you. And then I walk away, and they tell their buddy, I think that guy's an ass, mm-hmm. right? 
I'm not saying it's nice to hear the guy say, hey, you're an ass, but at least then I'm in a relationship with them and I can have some, I then have the opportunity to understand why mm. and maybe upgrade their view of me. Now, fortunately, that doesn't happen. I mean, it might be happening. They're not, they're not telling me. <laughs> but that to me is at least now you're in a relationship. And this is why I think in like some of these Southern American cultures, like I know I dated this Venezuelan for a while who was super feisty. But, you know, there was a beauty there because even though I felt her emotions were inappropriate, mm -hmm. meaning they weren't authentic, they were reactions mm -hmm. to her own feelings of inadequacy, at least there was like, like let's have it out, mm -hmm. you know, which I wasn't very good at. But there's something beautiful yeah. about that family dynamic where they're just like screaming at each other, but there's a, there's a, there's a chalice within which they live, which mm -hmm. is we love and accept each other. That's why we give each other permission to just have at it, yeah. right? And it doesn't always have to be egregious or like hostile, but it's like they're just like... There's there's a volume to, to their mm -hmm. emotions. Whereas you, from from my domicile, like being British, you know, it tends to be much more reserved. Mm -hmm. and, you know, say it like, under your breath, right, right, mm -hmm. or don't say it at all, mm -hmm. and just pass the cucumber sandwich and have a cup of tea, mm -hmm. and you know, it'll be fine, and like, don't worry about. I it. know it's like a dick. Like sometimes <laughs> I see people like that, and I'm like, I am jealous. I'm like, oh man, because yeah. there's an intimacy too to that journey with people. Absolutely, when you're really just like being truthful, letting it rip, mm -hmm. and I. I know sometimes I'll be jealous. I'm like, oh, wow, that's such a beautiful way to be and exist. Yeah, and I want to point out why, which is the backdrop. Like I use the word chalice, which might be a bit poetic, but it's like a container, mm -hmm. which is what it's actually asserting is that I love you so much and I provide so much safety that you can express yourself mm -hmm. fully. Now, that to me is a relationship. I'm not saying that you want to live that way. It can be exhausting too. You know, there's a lot of passion on both extremes, whether it be the anger and then the lovemaking or whatever. But it's <laughs> like, you know, I don't think that's a, that's a program for longevity either. But, you know, there's something to be garnered from that, which is like, wow, like if I can be in the presence of somebody who is holding a space that is so all accepting, even for my anger, my frustration, that's somebody that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And that's why sometimes, you know, families that are so close, they're like, it's crazy, like the people that piss me off the most mm -hmm. or that I'm emotionally, the people I love the most. Of and course. like, it's not that crazy. It's like, if you look at the actual physics of it, it makes total sense. It doesn't mean that's what you want all mm -hmm. the time. But it's, if they can articulate it in a way that like, like this kind of conversation, then it tends to, again, it tends to offset some mm -hmm. of the more highs, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be high positive or high negative. But there's still the, the understanding that, hey, listen, like, I love you so much. I want you to be all you. And what I found, certainly in my own personal relationships, whether they be professional, personal, or romantic, is when you establish that as the, the, the sort of the ground zero, the, 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 the foundation of what the relationship is built on, if there's a knowing that I'm accepting all of you, then you don't tend to get very hysterical anyway mm -hmm. because you just feel good with that person. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think... That's something for people to look at in their own relationship is where are you suppressed, where are you unexpressed? Mm -hmm. And not in a way to judge yourself or your partner, but maybe there's an opportunity to go back to your question earlier about making someone wrong or showing something is possible, that this is an invitation to say, were well, you committed to a beautiful relationship? In which case, then perhaps try and have a conversation with your partner about like the possibility of just being more expressed and learning to listen to each other. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really realize, you know, how... In our world, they talk about how intimate relationships will sometimes be the opportunity where once you get close to that intimacy, if it's something you fear, mm -hmm. where once you get close to that, it becomes the most scary. So you oftentimes don't show your full self or you oftentimes don't. Or, you know, in my case, it was like when I would get close to true intimacy, it became scary for me. So it became something that 
I had to overcome to allow intimacy into my life because it wasn't something I was comfortable with. So I would find myself in these situations where I would be talking about and feeling very intimate with people that I knew well, Mm -hmm. but the people that I knew the most deeply, I wasn't necessarily showing all that I was. And it's been such a process to like actually do that with people and like reintroduce yourself as this new version. Do you ever notice that with people where with your family or people that you love or even in your life, where they are being authentic, but then when it comes to the real relationships that matter, they're sort of shying away from that. Yeah, for sure. And and again, it makes sense, right? Because there's mo- that's where there's most at stake. Yeah. Those relationships that we assert are the most important to one, to ones to us carry the most significance. So there's more, the perception is there's more to lose, right? Like, oh gosh, like I love this man, I love this woman, I love da-da. And what happens if I fully open up? Because I've got this feeling now of attachment, commitment, or otherwise. And again, it goes back to that primal need for belonging with the antithesis being the fear of abandonment. So the the irony, and again, this is just how my brain works and like why people I think love my work, is intimacy's got nothing to do with the other person. Mm-hmm. Intimacy is for me to make space for that part of me mm-hmm. that is scared that somebody else might not make space for it. So we switch from looking for an exogenous form of security or asking for somebody to love us and accept us to I love and accept me. And again, without sounding cliche or like some Hallmark card, but like genuinely, like true intimacy, the most powerful form of intimacy is where I make space for all of me. Then it's not that it becomes irrelevant, it just becomes insignificant. And I don't mean that in a way to dismiss anyone's relationship, but look... If you are fully self-expressed with somebody that you are committed to, that you love, and that is the aftermath of finding true intimacy with you, and they don't hold that space, then you'll know that's not someone for you. If you have not found intimacy with yourself and you open up with somebody and they don't hold space for you, then you're, you're less likely to open up again because you're now equating rejection with them when you were already rejecting yourself. Conversely, it can also work the other way where you haven't found intimacy and acceptance for yourself. You do find somebody that really loves you, which is a gift. That's beautiful. But then you become attached to that person because you see them as the source, like S-O-U-R-C-E, of your comfort. Oh, but my husband, my wife, my mom, they really love me or my grandpa. And that's my safe haven. Well, it's not a safe haven because in the absence of them, you're going to go straight back to feeling not loved because you haven't found it for yourself, right? So so true intimacy to me, like any of the qualities that we look for for a human, like true security is, I often say true security is the absence of the need for external security. So the same with intimacy, like true intimacy is where I embrace all aspects of myself, all my flaws, all my humanity, all my imperfections, none of which are actual real. They're just my perceptions of myself. But I make room for the part of me that feels fundamentally inadequate. Then, if other people do or don't, you know, obviously it's nice if they do, but if they don't, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, I'm okay. And that, that to me is the precursor of the most beautiful relationships with everyone, whether they be professional, personal, or romantic. Do you feel like there's levels? Just asking as someone that has done a lot of work and feels free, mm-hmm. what I've noticed is that even in the intimacy, like when I thought I was intimate with people and then it becomes something where I'm like, wow, I've unlocked this other level of intimacy and it just becomes, 
there just becomes levels to everything. I feel like, have you felt like in your journey, there's levels to your freedom, there's levels to your happiness, there's levels to just sort of the presence and joy of life that you've been able to experience. 100%. And it reminds me of one of my baseball players who's the sweetest guy. And he's smart and successful. And he was sitting on my couch one day and I kind of shared a distinction about what he was going through. And he got like, you know, it was one of these aha moments. He's like, damn, there's levels to this shit. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's a song too. (laughs) He was educating me. He's more in that world of, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm out of touch. But um, yeah. That's the podcast title. There's levels to this shit. (laughs) Peter (laughs) Crowley. Right. That's not bad. Um, So the yes, like as I was alluding to earlier when I was younger and I thought I was in love, like that level Mm -hmm. of love that I knew at that time was appropriate for who I was with the awareness that I had. So, and this is again where I bring a lot of compassion. I say, you know, people are doing the best they can within the level of their current awareness. That doesn't condone their behavior. It might be stuff that you want to stay away from if someone's being hostile or abusive, but it's appropriate for where they're at. You know, hopefully you turn around in two, three, five years, they might call you. Even the girl, there's a girl in my mastermind right now. It's just so inspiring what these people are learning. But she called every one of her ex-boyfriends that she could, that she was in touch with, to apologize for the fact she'd never been available in a relationship. Mm. I mean, what a big human being, you know? And so talk about the level of awareness. Like She thought she was a great girlfriend and she's smart and she's beautiful and she's caring and she's physically intimate i think you know your audience probably knows what you're talking about in intimacy it's more energetic Mm -hmm. right but um and she realized based on the work that we're doing that she was always in her own world of feeling she wasn't something for people Mm -hmm. so it was a compensation constantly so that meant like i was pointing out so then you weren't in a relationship with them you're in a relationship of your own feeling of inadequacy that you were constantly trying to compensate for. And she's like, oh my God, that's why none of my relationships were. Mm. Anyway, so there's levels there that she even recognized. But for myself personally, oh my gosh, like it's consistent. Like I, I often use the metaphor of a mountain without a top, you know, which for some people can seem like, oh my God, that's like daunting and overwhelming. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, but at the same time, for those who are much more like myself, bent towards human evolution and this expansion of consciousness that's an ongoing proposition it's like it becomes exciting like where where am i thwarted where do i get upset that's the next level is waiting like it Mm -hmm. it becomes like a sort of gamified version of spiritual evolution Mm -hmm. so yeah for the predominant feelings that we seek freedom peace love sense of worth a feeling of personal power there is a there's a gradient for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't think i have by any stretch of the imagination got to the top of it I might be ahead of most, but that's what allows me to maybe be an inspiration and leader for people. And I think once you are able to make change, it becomes more fun. Yeah. And that's when you're like, wow, it never ends. Yeah. Which sometimes can be like really a pain in the ass. I completely like, agree. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I would love to be a victim today. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to just be a victim? <laughs> totally feel sorry for yourself and just sulk. Like as a kid, I know mm-hmm. I sulked. That was one of my mechanisms. You mm-hmm. know, so I didn't get what I want. And I mean, I think most kids can relate to that or most adults who still got their inner kid. And I was like, you know, and I was pretty, I wasn't spoiled. I was an only child. My dad was super, you know, super generous, more so with his emotions and kindness and love than materially, but because we weren't like super wealthy. But so when I didn't get what I wanted, my absolute default was sulking, you know, and sometimes even as an adult, like you look out in the world right now and it, it can be pretty depressing in terms of what's going on. And somebody like me is an empath like you who cares and you see whether it be directly friends or just like the, the the devastation of what's happening. So there's definitely times like, wait, did, did, did I take a wrong turn? Did I end mm-hmm. up on the wrong freaking planet? Because mm-hmm. like, I'm sure I'm programmed for like more of a heaven mm-hmm. on earth. 
<laughs> and this seems like a little bit more lean towards hell. So it's okay. I think that's where we embrace the humanity mm-hmm. and going what I was saying earlier about intimacy is really making space for the part of you that at times can just have a shitty day. And mm-hmm. I mean, look, for you women particularly, like, you know, without getting into the biology of it, like... You, <laughs> You're you like, are, don't ask me about biology. <laughs> you already asked me about neurology. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're like a shitstorm of chemicals, mm-hmm. like at least once a month for a few days, ah, you know? And, that's shitstorms of chemicals. <laughs> yeah. And God bless you for the way that you handle it. And mm-hmm. But give yourself some grace that you, you quite quite literally are physiologically a different human, you know? And... And I think that that warrants a little bit of grace, there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and especially from the male listeners, like, you know, like just just be loving, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't know what most women are going through. You mm-hmm. certainly don't understand the bandwidth. I always equate women to being quantum and men to being linear. Big facts. Big facts. <laughs> I always say we're multidimensional. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting when you did the chalice example, because I think about that in with like David Data's work and really thinking about the masculine mm-hmm. as the container and the woman as really that like. Mm-hmm. Overflowing nurturance and nurturance and expansive ability to emote and to feel, which really is such a guide, yeah, you know, for so many and yeah. such a inspiration. I think a lot of times for men, like when that woman was emoting, it really is like that is so inspiring to the masculine in a way, and it's so magnetic when there's like that truth of that femininity felt. And especially for the masculine, which guys don't understand, like in that space, as much as I said, like, you know, genuinely, but like somewhat jokingly that I was jealous, like, of course, she's feeling something. But also I felt an incredible feeling of strength, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you can hold space, you be the fort and the foundation for the feminine as a man. And that unfortunately tends to be like the antithesis of what's going on right now, right? Like the man is actually the oppressor, the, Mm -hmm. the abuser, the bringing the harm but in in the absence of that and in the presence of love and acceptance hold space adore it doesn't have to be the point of reverence but that's nice but you know to really create a a safe space Mm -hmm. then holy shit like any of my male friends and clients who've actually taken that on Mm -hmm. and given it a shot they're like whoa Mm -hmm. like i've got 10x of a girlfriend i've got 10x of a wife you know because they can blossom Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 no different to a garden. You know, I feel like, what's his name? Chauncey the Gardener or whatever. Do you ever <laughs> see that movie with, um, oh God, he played uh, the Pink Panther. Anyway, it's it's called... Steve Martin? No, no, the, the original one. <laughs> is that him? No, no. Okay, perfect. He is, he is that, but it's <laughs> okay. the original one. Anyway, I'm, thinking, I'm spacing on his name. but uh, It's called, um, I think it's called Being There. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Chauncey the Gardener, I think. But it's like, you know, you create the conditions for the garden to thrive. Mm-hmm. And we could say that the conditions of the foundation, the soil, like the attention, the the attentiveness, like make sure there's enough fertilizer, mm-hmm. enough light, you're giving enough water, and then you get you reap the rewards, which is the blossoming mm-hmm. of the feminine, like you know, the scent and the mm-hmm. joy and the beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, without sounding too poetic, I think there's something there for people to recognize mm-hmm. and and I know it's difficult because a lot of your listeners are women and they might be like, shit, I wish my husband or my boyfriend had a tenth of that, mm-hmm. you know, and then they feel like resigned and, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe there's something for you to look at. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what are you tolerating? Yes. And, and I'm not saying it's easy. You might have kids and these are real conversations, but what are you committed to? Mm-hmm. You know, you committed going to life with a semblance of external security while the mortgage is paid, I've got a roof over my head and a lot of women obviously acquiesce to that, right? Like they put up with the guy's mm-hmm. bullshit because... Okay, at least the kids have got food and I can send them to school and 
but at what cost, you know, like to your own sense of worth and joy. And again, it's not carte blanche. It's not like, okay, we'll just pack your bags and leave. No, that's not practical either. But mm-hmm. but I do appeal to people to find their own sense of value and what are you willing to tolerate? Because mm-hmm. you're always going to get what you're willing to tolerate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not usually pretty. Yeah, I think for a lot of the women in our community, it really is that, and I'm hopeful it's like a transition to a greater softening mm-hmm. because I feel like our generation was fed like the feminism narrative where it was like boss, babe, works, yeah, you know, works, has a side hustle, is the runs the family, like does all these things. Mm-hmm. And then you realize you're like, oh, wow, I'm now just like part of, and I don't have a problem with capitalism, but it's like now I'm just a part of this like capitalistic cog where like now I'm working all the time. I'm no longer at home. I'm no longer making a family. I'm no longer really able to like make a home and Mm -hmm. be able to relax within my nervous system or be that like soft feminine that really can allow the gauge of our family emotionally or even like the gauge of the collective from like an intuitive perspective. Yeah, I see it 100%. I think unfortunately what's happened is because I was saying earlier, like the woman being more quantum, the bandwidth is far vaster, I think emotionally and intellectually than most men more than the masculine has had to adopt some of the masculine qualities, right? Because of the, the, and again, I'm not, this is no slight on my fellow brothers either. Like, you know, it's just like, Boys have been beaten one too many times. That's the mm-hmm. language they've learned. And then they, like, through the lineage, they tend to perpetuate that. But so I think what's happened is the feminine's become too strong. Mm-hmm. It's got too much of a masculine tendency and a bent to it. The masculine being embodied in the feminine manifests as competition mm-hmm. because that's what the masculine is. And in the absence of the safe haven that the masculine, I think, can provide for the feminine, then listen, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm you know, uh, equality and da-da-da. But I, I don't think that's the way the game plays mm-hmm. out. If, And this is maybe like idealistic and, you know, sort of this nirvana image. But like if men had the wherewithal to be kind, to be respectful, to be loving, to hold a space of security, sovereignty for their family, for themselves, for their lover then I don't think there would be so many women in the workplace anyway. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't. Like, Mm -hmm. I really hope people hear what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I think there would be harmony, which is, you know, the quintessential Mm hunter-gatherer. You know, the women, the the families would be so much more balanced. There'd be so much more joy. Uh, The kids would be tended to versus, like, growing up with a neighbor or, Mm -hmm. like, a grandma or nanny or or the absence of all the above. Mm -hmm. And... And I'm not saying that's where it should go. I'm just looking at this really off the cuff with you right now as I speak, which is like, you know, if there's really this this supportive, secure foundation of a powerful, strong, a real man, you know, like a lion, mm-hmm. then the lioness, it's not that she can't hunt, but that's not really her role, mm-hmm. you know. She has the capacity. As I said, I'm really, you know, I can't compliment the feminine enough, but... um yeah, I, I, I think there's something beautiful in that. Mm-hmm. Like I know for myself, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not married, but like uh, that's the energy that I would want yeah. to have is like, and I would support like maybe the role of the feminine in that case in terms of like, you know, women are smart. They're super entrepreneurial. They want to create a business, but it may not be in the same capacity. You know, it might be like, look, my priority is the kids, the family, the beautiful home, creating a space that is nurturing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's beautiful. Like, I would feel so blessed. And I'd want to create a safe haven for that woman. And then, of course, if she did want to explore and, you know, 
take over my sugar scrub business and my mush. <laughs> you know, it's like, honey, go for it. Like, you know, so again, that might come across as like, stereotypical for some people and i don't mean that way at all of course i I think the conversation is just changing and i think probably your goal and or i'll say my goal is just for people to have the freedom to choose if they want to work or not or to stay at home or to be liberated from the ideals that maybe we have subconsciously as women where we have to do it all you know i think exactly there really is that because i noticed with our community it's like people are women are burnt out yeah and that that's my point is like I think, you know, and it's like a bigger poetic conversation. Like you look at the feminine as a whole, like mother nature, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like that to me is the feminine, right? Like, and let's, let, let's face it, like our planet is beaten to shit. And I don't think that it's, a, it's an exaggeration to say that's no different as an extension of what's happening to mm-hmm. the feminine, the human feminine, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're doing, the planet's doing the best it can, but it's like, it's overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Like the resources are being drained, same for a woman, especially for a mother. And I'm saying, hey, like, let's just back off. Let's love. Let's hold space for. Let's let's hold sufficient kindness, respect, and care for planet Earth and Mother Nature and our female counterparts mm. that they can thrive. And we kind of saw it at the beginning of uh, this, this the con, pandemic, con, the COVID or whatever it's called. When they're like, nature is healing. <laughs> yeah, I remember the, that. Right, you start to see yes. that, like, it was just beautiful, mm-hmm. like. That to me, what, where's the difference there between the, the the guy, the boyfriend, the husband who just backs off from like making his wife wrong or like, mm-hmm. hey, you got cellulite on your ass or like, mm-hmm. hey, why, why my food's got like, just dude, just back off. Mm-hmm. Like, she'll take care of herself. She knows how to take care of herself mm-hmm. and she's going to thrive, mm-hmm. but not in the presence of harm or abuse. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, listen, I'm all for choice. I just think there is a natural sort of pre and I, again, I've never talked about this stuff. Like this is all like I love the spontaneity of these conversations, but it just is resonating with me that yeah, look, if you want to have a career, have at it. I, I, everyone who works for me is female, <laughs> so like I love it. Like I love that space, but none of them are mothers, and I would anticipate that if at some point they wanted to have a family. They may still work with me, but not to the same capacity. There's a mm-hmm. shift in priority. Mm-hmm. But that can only really happen if they get the support in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Or as you, to your point, they just become overwhelmed and spread too thin, you know, mm-hmm. which then is deleterious to everybody. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of everybody doing what's right for them, mm-hmm. but I feel at no expense, no cost, you know, emotionally, psychologically, and physiologically. Yeah. I listened to a really good conversation with Lex Friedman, uh-huh. And um, Grimes, and she was talking a lot about that. She's like, I've realized I had so much internal dialogue about a mother being less than or like mm-hmm. being a stay at home or staying home with her kids was less than working or less than creating mm-hmm. and less than doing. Yeah. And it was really powerful to hear that even she sort of had that revelation and she was talking about, she's like, we need to find a way that our society or culture can incentivize women and mothers mm-hmm. in a way that is equal to the importance of their role. And of mm-hmm. course, that's always the goal to have like the roles be incentivized based on their importance to society and culture, which who right. knows if it'll happen. But it was powerful because I thought about that too. I'm like, there's no greater job than raising a child. That is the future, 100%. Mm, yeah. And the way that we don't prioritize or take care of women or take care of mothers is just so heartbreaking. Yeah, that's why it gets me. I mean, this is why I'm pretty outspoken. I think my most popular video on my Instagram feed is where I talk about the traumatized male and the impact on the feminine, mm-hmm. you know, like that women need to be like, and, and I don't like the word need because it creates an oppressive resistant energy, but like ought to be like mm-hmm. revered and honored, you know, and respected. Now, how that manifests 
like waits to be seen. But we've, we've got a long way to go to even get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I love that she brought that up and that they're less than. Like, I can't think of anything more important, mm-hmm. to your point, than, <laughs> than raising mm-hmm. the next generation. I mean, mm-hmm. especially if you pay attention to what's going on in the world right now. I mean, again, perhaps I'm a little bit more traditional. I grew up in England. I was a very shy kid. And, you know, there's the cultural impact of politeness and doing the right thing as, you know, a British kid. But here, I mean, with all due respect, most of the kids I meet are complete punks, you know. (laughs) And that's not a judgment. That's like an objective analysis. You know, it's you get into those like early teens and then Mm -hmm. mid-teens and like the, the, it's twofold, right? Because they're harmed. So hurt people hurt people. So we could say that they're, they're, they're sort of degenerate behaviors and the way that they like uh, acting in the, in the world, whether it be stealing, you know, like smoking pot, doing drugs, going to these sex parties, like, like they're just trying to keep up with the Joneses mm-hmm. too. So they're unhappy, but their, their impact on life is not contributory. It tends to be quite the opposite. And then there's all of the consequences of that behavior, whether it be their own incarcerations at the extremes or that they're on some kind of medication to try and manage their Mm -hmm. behavior and to me it all stems from the absence of a like a really nurturing loving wholesome home Mm -hmm. and and how do we establish that it goes back to the same thing we've got to heal the traumatized male Mm -hmm. so that he's not a you know a douche and is like creating a sanctity with commitment with love with safety so that again, the feminine can thrive, mm-hmm. and and the thriving can look multitude of ways. It's not just raising yes. kids. Like I'm not by any stretch of the imagination speaking to the stereotypes that I know can trigger a lot of women. No, I'm actually saying the antithesis is like that. If you really were given the space to fully embody your feminine, I don't know how many women wouldn't just feel like that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like how, like. And pretty much every girlfriend I've dated is like, I know I want to have a kid. Like, you know, and it's like, that's beautiful. But they're also equally concerned about when and with whom because they're not sure if they're going to be given the container to do that. So now they go slip more into the masculine, which is like, now I've just got to survive and tend for myself, which yes. which is awesome. And again, as I said, I think women are far more capable than men in majority of uh, industries. But but it's it's at some level sad because mm-hmm. this is the... You know, this is the propagation of our species, mm-hmm. right? Every I don't care who you are, you've you've come through to this realm courtesy of mm-hmm. a a beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. I love this conversation. Like it's actually it's beautiful for me too because, like, I think again, there's so many unfortunately old, hurtful conversations that sort of are in the same arena of like, oh yeah, you know, the guy goes out to work and the woman stays at home and she raises a kid, you know, and it's got this sort of negative connotation. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it might seem like a, a weird juxtaposition segue comparison, but if I look at who I was as a boyfriend to that girl who left me, you could say on the surface that I was like this perfect boyfriend, right? But it was a survival mechanism. Now, as much as my genuine nature was to be kind and caring, considerate and thoughtful and all the things that would, you know, we could say were the package of a very caring, perfect boyfriend, the underlying current was my own unrest, right? Like I was scared of losing her. So albeit the qualities that I displayed were qualities that anyone from the outside would say, wow, like you're so lucky to be with Peter. The, under, the, the actual subtext of my energetic expression of those qualities was my own mm-hmm. fear. 
right? So I think as a comparison, why I'm using that, that just my mind just jumped to that is no different than if, okay, it might look like the husband is working and da da da, and he's getting the money, and you've got a nice home, and da da, you've got two cars and whatever. But like, if the underlying current isn't the authentic commitment and love and holding of a space, then and then it equally is just a facade. It's a mm-hmm. pretense, and therefore the woman is going to feel unfulfilled. She's going to see feel unseen, and sadly, that's that's so commonplace. So. Mm-hmm. You know, where my evolution to go back to the levels conversation, I suddenly discover what love was. And mm-hmm. as a consequence, everyone I've dated subsequently, or anyone that beyond romance, just like, you know, with friends and otherwise, is given a space that I was unable to give them before, mm-hmm. which is granting them the space to be who they are and whatever they have to feel and whatever their choices are. Even if I'm in love with somebody and they choose to go somewhere else, it's like, okay, I can have my first feeling of, you know, upset and being sad, you know, that's okay. But love doesn't have its own agenda. And so if that's what someone wants to do, I'm going to support that. Because I always say that, you know, my truth is their truth and vice versa. Do you think with love then, is it because is it someone has reflected what is already in you and that you are responsible and the owner of the feeling of love? Mm -hmm. Do you think that is what it is? Because sometimes I think about love and I'm like, I obviously understand love, but sometimes unconditional love throws me off because yeah. I said this in a story one time. I was like, I don't think we really know what unconditional love is. Like, I don't think many people really know no. because it's not very readily available in this experience on earth. No. Do you believe that there's unconditional love and that we can feel it? Yes. But to the former part, no, like it's not readily available and it's certainly not felt often. I can remember a distinct moment that I haven't thought of for a long time, but your question has elicited the memory, which is I was working with a client in Florida and beautiful woman. I'd been working with her husband for a while and she was seeing the benefits to him. And so she's like, I'd love to you know, have a few conversations. And we started to look at again, like I do, like the things she'd gone through as a child and what she was dealing with as a mom, as a, as a wife and all the things that we've just spoken to and she's overwhelmed and she's tired and she doesn't feel appreciated by her mm. husband and da-da-da. And there was a distinct conversation where whatever she was sharing, I just made complete and utter spaceful, like it's okay. And I can remember her saying like, I like, she was lost for words. Mm. She said, I've never felt in my life, and this is a woman who was mid forties, you know, so mm-hmm. like you know, arguably a, a good halfway through her life. She's like, I didn't know what that felt like. She's like, I've never felt like that. Just being me was enough. Mm. And first of all, it was just so humbling for me and flattering to be able to hold her space and introduce that to her, even though it was like unfamiliar and somewhat foreign, and even to your point, a bit uncomfortable. Because the part of her had become accustomed to thinking that she always had to do something or be something in order to get love from her parents in this case, had just become normalized and over four decades. And it was just so beautiful. So it does exist. I've had moments of it myself and I, mm. so I do the best I can to live from that place. I might not be perfect. You know, certain people in the world right now that are <laughs> definitely, I'm like, wait, you're just evil. What do you do? <laughs> it's difficult to be unconditionally loving to that. But, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, so it does, but but it is it's definitely an anomaly. Mm. It's not, you know, and that again goes back to what I said. Like that's my commitment is to help people wake up to that. And that goes to your intimate intimacy mm. question, which is rather than trying to find intimacy with others, meaning trying to find this mm-hmm. exogenous form of love and acceptance, if we can really find that for ourselves, and I'm not saying that's an easy feat, 
But to embrace your humanity, your sort of warts and all, you know, and go, okay, oh, I can I can let go of the tension, the restlessness, the inner critic, and go, you know what? I'm not perfect and I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to be. I'm human. And in fact, I would assert that one of the, ironically, one of the qualities of being human is that we try not to show our humanity, mm-hmm. which when you really see is like quite the paradox. But mm-hmm. the real quote-unquote triumph of being human is to make sufficient space for your humanity. And I would assert that's unconditional love. And when you find it for yourself, it becomes certainly a lot easier and perhaps unavoidably an extension of that for others. Mm. Beautiful. Okay. I feel like I could go on forever. Um, <laughs> well, now that we've hit love and the mother load. It's like, <laughs> I know. You're beautiful. Yes, you guys are all beautiful <laughs> angels. Okay. Last question from me. Yeah. Um, what is something you're working on right now? Like personally, what are you, like what's something that you're sort of working on internally that you're like, wow, I didn't see this lesson coming or I didn't see this sort of integration or opportunity that you have? It's a great question. So originally I was going to go to my book, but you're talking about more myself personal. So I have a, I have a client I've been working with for over a decade and it's just such a joy. He's, he's an incredible man. Uh, major league baseball player and we've had so much success together and it's so fun because i get to sort of this may sound like a little bit selfish but even though he's sort of employing me you know just by virtue of the quality of the conversation we have i often get to reflect with him some of my sort of more off the press cutting edge insights so what i'm looking at right now is this paradigm itself right planet earth Mm -hmm. so we tend to, just by virtue of our design, being human beings, like we, 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 we become collapsed with our equipment. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm this meat suit, I'm Peter Crone, and it's this misidentification. Mm-hmm. And then, rightly so, when we, that's the level that we're associating ourselves. We're going to do everything we can to, for the most part, try and perfect or improve or fix that part of us. And so I was sharing with them, I was like, like you know, I love the whole gamification uh, lens that you can look at different things in life. Like he's a he's an athlete, so he's playing a game. I love sports, so I'm playing lots of games. And I said, what if, you know, if you look at planet Earth, it's really just, to go to your question of levels, it's just a level, right? Mm-hmm. And then this level, like the demons, the adversaries, the trials and tribulations, the obstacles you have to overcome are the things that we're currently facing that seem to be coming to the forefront a lot more right now. And so rather than getting caught up in the dismay, the disheartening, the powerlessness, the overwhelm that can be associated with that. What if that's the design of this level of the game? Mm. And we can all, and listen, I'm, you know, at the bow of the boat of this like commitment to like creating heaven on earth and nirvana. But what if that's not what happens here? Mm. You know, as souls with our limitlessness and our infinite like love, capacity and freedom, like the stage we're at in our own evolution, our own development is like, oh, okay, listen, you're still bound and entangled with these fundamental fears and constraints about inadequacy and security of yourself. We've got the perfect place for you. It's called planet Earth. You're going to go there. You're going to get triggered like crazy. You know, you're going to have to go through all these weird experiences and you're going to hurt yourself and you have relationships that suck and then children that write all over the wall. And you're going to have to learn like a real, like powerful understanding of love and acceptance. And that's what this domain is about. So that's what I'm exploring right now is to, you know, forget about... 50,000 foot view, you know, versus runway. I'm like, you know, 500 million Mm. foot view. Like, okay, what if this is just 
it's a stepping stone in my own spiritual evolution and earth the next version you know whatever planet like and to me it's ridiculous to think there aren't other planets that have life Mm -hmm. you know when you understand the scale Mm -hmm. of this planet relative to the universe like i mean the ego yeah the ego you have to have yeah it's insane so you know okay like i'm at level three of a level 25 game Mm -hmm. you know and level four's next and you move on to that when you've conquered this realm and conquering this realm, not in a way that is like in any way dominant or, you know, trying to be the the kingpin, but really I've established the, comes back to love, the ability to embrace my humanity and therefore everybody else's, even warts and all. The, all frequencies exist in this plane and we can call it evil, we can call it darkness, we can call shadow, whatever it is, but it's here. And, you know, me being upset by that, which at times I'm going to admit, like it gets to me, you know, because I hate to see other people suffering and I'm a big stand for justice and respect and choice and all of these things. But like, can I develop sufficient amount of love whilst I'm in this dimension so that I can, you know, stop that reincarnation to mm-hmm. this plane and move on to the next one where you know everything's organic and it's all error one and it's all <laughs> and it's all love and Say unicorns no and rainbows right <laughs> that's, like, that's actually my my heaven i know i think it's interesting the through line of a lot of people that i speak with it's like wanting this to be their last incarnation on earth <laughs> right and you, there's that deep soul feeling i have where and then you know my higher self is like well you know, if you've really mastered the game, you probably don't have an attachment to whether or not it's your last incarnation here. But I'm like, I am pray, yeah. to, pray to be done. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that bodhisattva, like as a narrative, mm-hmm. right? Where, okay, you have been done, but like, and I could see my role very much like that, which I, I often look at, whether it be my emotional intelligence or more traditional IQ, like, and go, okay, like, I could easily, you know, if so many people just, it, it's touching, but like, you know, Peter Crow for president. I'm like, well, first of all, I'm a British citizen, so that's not going to work. Uh, although, Second of all, that job sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that job literally sucks. I, I just get killed. <laughs> yes. uh, but it's like, you know, there's there's something so fulfilling about, and again, this is not me appealing to the gods to let me to come back, but, you know, perhaps being a beacon of light, uh, a semblance of possibility of inspiration for people to you know, go like, well, well, hang on a minute, I've done so much work, like, why am I here? Well, maybe it is just a, even if it's like of the, I don't know how many people listen to this, but mm-hmm. 10% are like, you know what, yeah, I want to find a greater sense of respect to my relationship, or I've been making my mother-in-law wrong, and I'm the one drinking that poison of my own judgment, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that anymore. There's something beautiful about that. Like, like, in the last two days, I've been stopped by three people who I've never met before, who just it's just so gratifying to know that these are people I've never met, but because they've listened to something like this, it 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 had a difference. It, made, it had an impact, you know? And so I'm with you. I'm like, I'm ready to move on to the mothership of, you know, just freaking joy and love and respect and kindness and freedom. Like, let's have at it, you mm-hmm. know? And everybody's in great shape and, <laughs> yes, and healthy. Everyone's and hot. Bar- everyone's super hot. <laughs> I think Everyone's it's called the Victoria's sexy. Secret show. Yes. <laughs> I, I was saying that. that. I was like, oh, I want to... The other day, I was like, I want to be an angel. I was like, I just want to be done. I want to be an angel. <laughs> and they were like, well, if you really want to be an angel, you'd probably try and make more of an impact when you're embodied because as an angel, they can't see us. And I was like, oh, that's so fucking true. You're like, damn it. I, I don't want to be an angel. Yeah, <laughs> what's, like, what's below that? I want to be like liminal. <laughs> right. I just want to be like energy. <laughs> energy <laughs> in the cosmos. Yeah. Last thing, the book. Yes coming along it's funny you already have like quotes 
I have millions of quotes. Like, that's the format of the book. I mean, and the quotes are already out there. Like, yes. that's just the way that insights come to me. Not always. Yeah. I use analogies and examples that I think help because people are very visual. But no, I have a ton of quotes and it's coming along. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm uh, an entrepreneur and I have many moving templates simultaneously, mm-hmm. which is probably not like, you know, the most productive or efficient way to do things. But it's my current human design and the way I do things. Mm-hmm. So I give myself grace with that. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting more priority on it. So Amazing. it's coming along. Yeah, Are you a projector? Yeah. I'm a generator. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What'd you get from that? I don't know, okay. to be honest. Right. I, Jenna, Can you ask your angelic self? Yes, literally. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I have my my people that like are experts in that, so I never. I'm just like, well, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. I love astrology, human design, gene keys. You know, mm-hmm. there's all like the I Ching. Like, there's there's a myriad of ways. Like, even the disc analysis or the Maya Briggs. And like, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting. Uh, again, I don't like to become too attached to any of it. Yeah. Some have more resonance than others. I think they all really point to identity as opposed to mm-hmm. like what I would say is essence beyond that. Like, so who am I in the absence of all of that? Yeah. You know, and that to me is a much more profound conversation that's more all encompassing for everybody. But it's also for me personally, it's more inspiring because it creates a lot more space, right? Mm-hmm. Versus like, oh, I'm this particular way. It's like, well, you know, it's like religion. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that. But like, you know, when someone declares themselves as a religion, like I'm Christian, it's like, I get what you're saying, but it's a disservice to the mm-hmm. expansive being you are. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just one aspect. And first of all, you're not. You're maybe subscribed to the doctrine mm-hmm. of Christianity, but to declare yourself as I am something is it's not an accurate statement. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's bad or wrong, but you know what I mean? I love that. Yeah. Aaron Christian, actually. <laughs> actually, can I just uh, correct you there, <laughs> yeah. sir? Actually, yeah. you're not Christian. <laughs> yeah, not at all. No, you, you, you probably grew up in a house where your parents said that, so yep. you adopted the language. You didn't, it wasn't even a choice. So now you're defending something that wasn't a personal choice, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's a British expression. I don't know if you know. Kettle of fish. Kettle of fish. Definitely British. <laughs> Definitely British. So, I meaning it's like a can of worms. Mm-hmm. Like we have kettle of That's fish. That's hilarious. You say kettle of fish, and we say can of worms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if you put them together, I don't know. It sounds like a disgusting. Sounds meal. gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, mm. uh, but but it's but it to me, it's a beautiful way to help people understand how seductive language is, mm-hmm. and spe- especially language that's inherited. And it's like, oh, there's this assumption that you're born into a household and that you're you know, Jewish, you're Muslim, like, again, just using religion as a, as a mm-hmm. backdrop to this conversation. Like, you're not. You're like a limitless being who's adopted a particular moniker for yourself. Like, I'm Peter, which I'm not really, but, like, it's a sound that's appropriate. So if I'm walking down the street or, like, the other day I'm in Era 1 and it's like, oh, Peter, like, you changed my life. Well, thank you. Like, you know, I can respond to it because mm-hmm. it's appropriate, but it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a much headier conversation. But it starts to get people to go, oh, wait a minute, where have I become attached to my own labels and judgments of myself mm-hmm. that maybe in the absence of those I would experience an immense and more freedom. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. If Thank you're into that. Oh, yes. Thank <laughs> you so much for coming. This has been so much fun. And I know we sort of like went all over the board. So I really yeah. appreciate you just going here with me <laughs> yeah. on a lot of topics as I know a lot of our audience is really, you know, they're huge fans of your work and they know a lot of it already. So I really wanted to bring like a different perspective and different set of insights, but yeah. we will see you on the next one, y'all. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much, Peter. It's petercrone.com and Peter Crone on Instagram. Peter has courses and workshops. He has a mastermind. There's a lot of different ways you can work with him. I definitely suggest checking out his website. You can get a free mini course and just learn more. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode. As always, just bringing you brands we're obsessed with and use ourselves. All the discount information is in our show notes or on almost30.com. Check out those discounts. They are especially for you, Almost 30 listeners. And thank you for listening as always. We will see you on the next one. We'll see you soon.